Well, Ryan's dude, he's definitely one of my mentors and like somebody yeah, that's he's special. Yeah, he's special, man. He's somebody that I look up to and would love to, you know, learn from. I think people need to know Ryan Engelbert. Like people just need Ryan to know. Ryan Engelbert he is. and Coach Croyle are like Dude, Johnny Croyle changed my life. Incredible, bro. Johnny Croyle was I mean, he was at a point in our both of our lives as our wide receiver coach in high school that he just brought into a foundation that I never knew of somebody with principles, with morals, doing things the right way. And just like an attitude where he was cool, funny, personable. Like I loved hanging around him. Amazing. He could connect with you. The funniest. But he also, you, he, he lived his life with discipline and a standard that brought you to another level. Well, and I think it's not that he lived his life, which he did. He lived his life with that. But he didn't allow, and this is a quote that I had talked about the other day. It's like, um, he didn't allow mediocrity from anybody. It's not that he worked hard. It's mm. that, which he did. I'm not saying he didn't. But it's that he didn't allow being not disciplined, not working hard around him. He did not allow that. Mm. Like it was, if you wanted to be a wide receiver and play, you had to work hard. You had to be able to take criticism and like make it uh, positive and like something you learn from. Cause he would tell you how it is. Like, he called he, me out all the time. He called you out. He called me out. Like he was not afraid to call you out, but it was always in like a super loving way. Mm -hmm. And I think if you ask any of my kids that I work with the same thing, they would say it's same. It's like tough love and mm -hmm. you need that. Cause life is not, easy and like you have to have someone who tells you to you straight and doesn't you know fluff things up but i think huge the key to that too is like having a relationship with someone and knowing that they for care sure. for sure you can't give tough love unless that person knows that you generally care about them and you've already built a, a solid foundation of a relationship yeah for sure and he was yeah he's incredible it's like the we the quote i was talking about was if you think if you consider yourself a leader you need to ask this yourself the question why do you accept media or why do other people feel comfortable being mediocre around you mm. so like if other people feel comfortable being mediocre around you then you're not a great leader like you can definitely be a follower but if you want to be a leader people around you cannot ex be mediocre like they that's like a kobe bryant michael jordan like they did not accept mediocrity or mediocrity um, and that's what made them special. Like that's what's gonna make you super successful in my opinion. And I love that. And I think we all are trying to become someone like that. Yeah. But it's it's not about like judgment or anything like that. People can be who they want to be, but it's just that, like you're saying, that environment to where, like, if you're a leader, you don't you don't accept you know BS or like excuses and that type of stuff. 100%. Excuses is a bad one. Excuses and complaining, dude. Complaining like ble my ears bleed when I hear complaining. <laughs> it like drives me up a wall. So. Yeah, I think those are the things that people get away with that if you like the Spurs, the Patriots, these championship or any company really, ETS, any company that like you've been a part of in the past, like if they accept that mediocrity, their chances are they're not going to be mega successful in the future. And we still do it. I mean, I still complain too and I know, but I think as you try to create this environment, you start to call yourself out and you hear when you're doing it. For sure. You, know you have to lead by example. Exactly. Like, this is why our life, you know, we've come so far. We've learned so much uh, about training, nutrition, and our habits have changed so dramatically. Like, yes. why is this so important to us? Because we've talked about this. Not a lot of other people, you know, former athletes, college athletes, mm -hmm. still care about being healthy and active and moving so well. Yeah. Why is it so important to you? Mm, I think it's more mentally. It's very difficult for myself to be mentally 
sane if I'm like living very unhealthy out like physically. Right. So like if I don't work out for a couple of days in a row or I'm eating shitty for days in a row, it's very strenuous on my brain and like how I feel about myself and like my stress and my um, anxiety or whatever you want to call it. So for me, just mentally, I need to have discipline so that I can continue that in other aspects of my life. Because if you don't like, if you're not doing training or if you're not eating decently, it's like odds are you're probably not working as hard as you can at work. You're probably sleeping in. Like it just, I feel like it affects a lot of other aspects of your life versus like, it's a thing, Jordan Peterson, we talked about like making your bed Mm. or whatever. What's the quote he has? Keeping your house in order. Yeah. Like what's his, what's the rule for life that he has with that one? Setting your house in order, get your house in order. Yeah, exactly. So it's the same type of concept. Like you have to have certain things in your life that can domino into other aspects of your life. So if you're working out and eating healthy generally leads to hopefully getting some momentum and like carrying that on to your work life or your relationships or whatever. Right. And you're building up your identity. You're building up the fact that you're a strong being and you're, you're consistently building little habits that help you believe that you're the person you want to be, which gives you supreme confidence in what you're doing to where if you tell yourself, Hey, I'm going to wake up at 5am, I'm going to do this, this, this. And then you don't complete those little things you told yourself, mm-hmm. then you don't believe the story you're telling yourself. Yeah. And then that builds that negative, you know, psychological effect where if you follow discipline, you're like, Ooh, I'm a disciplined person. Yeah. All right, I can do this. But I think it's all individual as well. So some people like don't put much value in being a, like working out and eating healthy. They place more value in the social aspect of life and like enjoying food and going out and drinking. And, and so I, you know, there's, it's not my place to tell them that that's incorrect. It's just, that's not how personally I feel happy. So I'm not, it's not that me and you are, are whatever say that people that aren't living as healthy as we are trying to live are doing anything wrong. It's just that, of course. it's just that we feel differently. So yeah, we all have our own values exactly. and things that, yeah, bring things us that joy. Things that we place and, importance on. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I hope that health would be, you know, hopefully pretty high on everybody's because that's for like, what gives you longevity and energy and the ability to do things. But being healthy is different than being freaking trying to be the fittest man in the world. Like it, it mm-hmm. depends what you put on health. You For know? sure. Like you don't have to train every single day. Exactly. But it helps other parts of your life if you're being active. Like you it helps with your brain and like Rhonda Patrick talks about that all the time. Like the the different aspects of your mental health that increase after exercise. So Well, there's definitely dude, I notice still like if I don't work out for two or three days, I start to get a little bit down. Mm-hmm. And then if I go to the gym, like I'm back. Mm-hmm. So there is something to just yeah, that physical exercise, the sauna, the release of the stress that actually just changes your mindset for sure. There's definitely a lot of stuff going on in there, but like we, we, we used to train at Minnetonka growing up. Like yes. our training was questionable yes. at best. I mean, I, I hope that they had our best intentions. I know, I'm sure they're trying to do right, but we trained doing high intensity, slow reps down Neg- three negatives to failure at, after every single exercise, we do one set to failure on every single exercise we go down that row. Remember, we'd like get rows mm-hmm. that we were assigned. And so we would just go down the row. And every single exercise, we would do it once. 12 reps, four seconds down, and three negatives. Pass failure on every single exercise. That's all we did for seven, eight years or whatever. That's unbelievable. I mean, now knowing what you know now, like how far off are we and how like behind were we? I mean, I think there are good aspects of machine training. Um so it's not that there's if there's nothing good. It's just like, is there a better alternative? So mm. like machines, 
are very easy to coach and to teach and they're great for people that are recovering from injuries because you might not be able to use your entire body. And so you can go to these machines that allow you to still train while injured. So there's a, there is a, an area where machines are good, but for an athlete that needs to learn total body movements and like, that's a big thing in, in athletic performance. It's movements over muscles. And at mm. ETS, we train movements versus if you're like a bodybuilder or we're at Minnetonka or what we did at Gustavus too, was we focus on muscles and specific muscles and chest muscles and flies and shoulders and versus using our entire body in a, a movement that will be similar to what we have to do in a, a game day or whatever. Right. Because in an athletic environment, let's say football player, you're never going to be sitting down, yes. pushing on a thing, but doing a chest fly, doing a chest fly. Yes. Like that is not comparable at all to the field Correct. or your ability. To where at ETS you're trying to put yourselves in those environments you're saying exactly. So we'll do a lot of like like a good a good example is a bear crawl. Hmm. So if you know what a bear crawl is, it's you are down on your hands and feet and you have your knees underneath your hips and they're like a little bit off the ground. So it's you're like a bear, whatever. So you're in like a four point stance and you just crawl, keeping your back flat. We put sometimes put like cones on people's back. We put hmm. a plate on people's back so they have to keep their back flat and crawl all the way down 20 yards or whatever or do like four ways we do a lot with like a square so we'll go five yards forward five yards right five Mm -hmm. yards back five yards left so that's an in total body movement that requires a tremendous amount of stability strength and coordinate like it just requires a lot of things that are good for sports and it's not working a specific muscle like you're not going to do it if you're a bodybuilder but it's an incredible exercise Mm -hmm. and you can progress it very easily by challenging it with first with a cone for someone that's like 12 years old and then you can do like manual resisted or a 45 pound plate on your back if you're someone like us that's like an advanced athlete and it's super super challenging so it's a great exercise that's a good example and you're building athletes that can move and carry weight and like actually adjust and adapt to their environment and and be strong like their core engaged is a huge thing so like something where like when you're blocking someone in football or tackling someone in football or hockey, whatever the case may be, your core is at the center of everything. Mm. So if you're doing something where you're sitting in a chair, you it requires almost nothing from your core to like be stabilizing yourself or your lower back. It's all just like individual muscle groups that require no athleticism. Like, I don't know. It's just, plus we didn't do any plyometrics. I'm a big fan of plyometrics. We probably didn't sprint enough. Like there's a lot of things I think we did wrong, but we just uh, weren't trying to be athletes. And that's where like, I I know we talk about hypertrophy training and then training to be, you know, an athlete or just training to be a bodybuilder. There is a level of hypertrophy in training like an athlete, but yeah, there's, it's definitely not like we did in high school where you're, everything is hypertrophy. Everything is 12. Like there's like, plus we didn't do progressive overload. Like there's just a lot of things that we've missed out on, I think. Right. So for your average person out there. Let's say who wants to just get strong in the gym. What type of things should they do just to grow your muscles, to get hypertrophy? Like, well, what see, do you that's do? where you like what you just said is like there's two different things there. You said to get strong or to grow your muscles. So those are like the two. That's the difference between strength and hypertrophy. Like, str- okay. strength is being strong in movements um, and like the amount of raw power that your body can generate versus like um, hypertrophy and growing your muscles is like doing a lot of slow eccentrics and things to failure where you are breaking down muscles through like the lengthening portion of the rep and resisting that, that portion of the rep to break down your muscles, to build them back aesthetically looking bigger, but not necessarily being stronger, just aesthetically the size of the overall muscle, which there is crossover, right? It's not like they're completely different, but right. 
in terms like you will get hypertrophy hypertrophy from doing strength training um and you will get strength from doing hypertrophy um but it's just which one is your focus based off of what your goals are right so if you're an athlete and you're going to want to have size obviously you're going to want to get big muscles some people yeah it depends on what you're doing yeah but like if your single goal is to look bigger if i want to go to the gym and i just want to get huge bicep just because i want to be a beach bro Mm -hmm. i'm going to train more slow down and just go for hypertrophy uh yeah i mean theoretically but you also have to have some sense of progressive overload so that's like one of the main concepts in weightlifting so like your body is a very it's very good at adapting so if you give your body three sets of 10 using 30 pound dumbbells on bicep curls your body will become adapted to that become strong enough to do that load but if you're not continuing to improve the volume or the weight or the reps or the sets your body will not it'll plateau so um yeah you'll do more eccentrics i would say um but you're also if you're not doing progressive overload odds are you're going to plateau at some point pretty quickly well and that's even as an athlete like to get strong to get stronger you have to progressively overload right or can you get stronger without increasing volume um that's a good question so like just i guess for people that don't know um progressive overload refers to increasing the total amount of volume that you lift over time. So you have sets, reps, and weight. And one of those three numbers has to increase over time in order to, like I said, like continue to challenge your body to get stronger. So if you do three sets of 10 at 135 on a bench, you have to either go four sets of 10 at 135, three sets of 12 at 135, or three sets of 10 at 145. So like one of those three numbers has to increase. So if you're doing that in the gym, odds are you're going to get stronger. Um, You obviously have to take a lot of things in consideration when you're weightlifting. It's a dangerous thing to pursue. So you can't be negligent about like your nervous system and the the effects that weightlifting has on that, um, as well as like technique and stuff. But yeah, progressive over. I don't even know what your initial question was, but yeah, I mean, that's amazing information. And I think just for the, you know, people listening out there, like, let's just go through triphasic training and the importance or the difference in each type of training and why they might be important to do each different kind. So we got eccentrics, concentric, and isometrics. When would we use them and why? Well, it depends if you were talking about an athlete or like the everyday bro that goes to the gym. So as an athlete... Let's talk about just relating to our friends, like the Webbers and Swarnies who are like post... Great friends. Yeah, great friends, post-college. Like they still want to be pretty athletic. They want to get bigger, obviously, but you know, they want to be able to play sports, they want to play golf, they play baseball, like, you know, move. Spike ball. You want to be able to move well and still be Well, because I think there's a huge difference in like the approach. Like if you were trying to play spike ball or basketball or like some of these explosive movements where you're changing direction and doing plyometrics and jumping and you're not training like an athlete, chances like that's why i tore my achilles Mm. like i didn't train like an athlete for years like i graduated from college um i did my pro day training at ets um crushed it yeah did did pretty well but um anyways what i was trying to say is like once you go back and i after our um like the pro day and everything like that and i went to back to the everyday normal life of just doing like whatever a lot of people do at the gym is just training and like lifting with no plyometrics. And then I went after two years 
talked to Ryan and blah, 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 and got a job at ETS, went back into heavy plyometrics and training and all that type of stuff. And I tore my Achilles after six days or something like that of being in Michigan. So that is unbelievable. And so sad after you moved to Michigan. Super sad. But just (laughs) the saddest. Just to, yeah, just definitely clarify. So for you were training super hard, like an athlete movements, like quick during during college, during college and to your pro day. And then you took two years off. You worked in the corporate world. You were just lifting to be big and you were, you were huge. Yeah. I was getting a lot stronger. I was doing like powerlifting, like deadlifting, bench press. But you weren't running, sprinting, cutting, decelerating, all that type of stuff. I didn't price. Yeah. I don't know if I sprinted for the whole two years. Right. So then after two years, you jumped right back into it after taking such a break. And you think that's why you caused injury. I think that had a huge factor because I was not, my tendons were not accustomed to plyometrics. Mm. And it's like, I can't remember the exact number and I feel bad, but Paul Favorites talks about this because after the the NBA lockout, I believe it was, NBA or NFL, I don't know if NFL had a lockout, but there was like a 300% increase in torn Achilles mm. after a lockout. Um, so that shows you like type of similar type of concept that if you take long breaks off of plyometrics and you don't gradually progress into them, you have a higher chance of like tendon injuries and tendon injuries are the worst, mm. like the worst. And you hear this, you hear this all the time though. And like, I hear stories like this all the time. And I, we were just talking the other day, my, one of my friends, or I guess, I'm sorry, one of my friends, Chase, it was his buddies. And he was telling me a story. Chase is all into working out like we are. And one of his friends played basketball all four years through college. And then he took a year off, didn't really play basketball. And he was just going and playing, you know, recreational basketball, hooping with his buddies, and tore his uh, fibula. Mm -hmm. It just completely shattered it, and he had never had any injuries all through college. Mm -hmm. So, but he he just took a year off, didn't really do anything. So it's kind of that similar principle: your body's not ready to absorb and move like it it used to. For sure, and it's like I think the number one thing that people and my friends could learn from, and I don't know how to say it, but like. Tendon injuries are literally the worst. Like, mm-hmm. I tore my Achilles. I couldn't walk for three months. Um, couldn't run for six months. Like, they are brutal injuries to recover from. Like, I'm in a scooter. So if you tear in, uh, tendons, ACL, MCL, anything up top, like Achilles, they are brutal injuries, and they're worse as you get older. So learning that you have to continue to train as an athlete so that we can do our best to not have have these happen as we get older like playing spike ball or playing basketball if you just want to play golf or do like these very low level things like obviously i think the chance of injury is less than if you're playing spike ball and basketball like there's still a chance of injury but um if you want to do something where you're doing plyometrics and you're not training plyometrics i think you need to be very careful with yeah, and I, I want to really dive into this conversation because yeah. this is so interesting. I think it's just dangerous, and I don't want my friends to have to go through a tendon injury or an ACL tear playing basketball when they're 40 or whatever. So, like, how can we address that prematurely so that we can, like, do our best to not have that happen? Right. So those are the worst. Let's the worst. assume for this conversation that people want to be athletic or want to move well into their 50s and 60s, like us. They want to move well. They want to be semi-athletic. They want to be very active. I mean, we could... 50s and 60s with like 20s like people like stop working out when they're 20 no i know i'm just saying like for in this conversation yeah, yeah. for the people listening like we all want to move really well as we age and be able to do all those things yes. right so what type of things do we need to be doing and this goes back to the triphasic training and just different yeah, I exercises guess I didn't answer that question no Sorry. Let, let's get into it <laughs> that's all right that's awesome i tend to ramble sometimes so i apologize 
I love it. But let's uh, let's talk triphasic training or just exercises that can really help our tendon health. And what? Because these guys aren't going to go work out for an hour and a half doing yes. freaking ETS workouts. Like, what can they do? No, but like you can incorporate like low level plyometrics, like just like a pogo jump. So like jumping rope is a good example. Mm. Just that that low level plyometric of like the springiness with your like Achilles, your calf, like all that type of stuff. I think is beneficial. Um, and will help keep your tissues and your tendons accustomed to stress that they will certainly go through. And your tendons get weaker over time too. So like when you're when you're 40 and 50, you're a much higher chance of injuring yourself. So um, low level plyometrics, like a obviously I think pogo jumps or double leg, like jumping rope is a good example. Um, single leg would be like a power skip or like a Mario, if you know what that is. Mm. Um, but like I said, like, I don't really know how to explain a power skip, but it's like a skip for height, if you know what that is. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're just skipping. So you're jumping and landing on the same foot. That's what a skip is. So um, that's a good plyometric that you can do. So just doing these um, gradually, I think, will help because a big issue with joints and tissues and tendons is a sudden change, a sudden, like, rapid, ex- um, I don't know what you would call it, like, Going from nothing to 100%, but you want to like gradually start like a low level plyometric, like a um, jumping rope, and then gradually going into like over the weeks and months into like more high level stuff, like a depth jump and stuff like that. Like, I don't know if a lot of (laughs) older guys want to do depth jumps, but that's like a good example of like a high level plyometric where you jump, you're dropping off of a box and then jumping. So it's like, because you have to absorb force, absorb decelerate, exactly. and then accelerate again. Exactly. And and I think this is great because a lot of injuries, and there's some injuries obviously that there are unavoidable, especially in sports like high level football and stuff. But kind of contact injuries, contact injuries. But uh, yeah. some injuries are because a certain muscle or group cannot absorb the force being placed upon them, 100%. and they break. And it's because the body is not in tune with or not used to the different type of or- of factors and. Uh, stressors that are being put on it, like yes. jumping on a stress calf. is a good word. Yeah, so like if you jump on a calf and it hasn't been used to being able to fire to you know pl- get hold whatever's placed upon it, that's when it could break or certain muscles attached to it. Like that for sure. That is what I think is so interesting and what people they just think freak stuff happens, but it's like you can get your body accustomed to these stresses. Yeah, and even with this training, it's not saying that it will never happen. It's just saying you're giving yourself a better chance of not injuring yourself. Like the chance, the percentage could go from like, in my opinion, if people, if our friends don't do train, don't train like an athlete and then go play basketball for a year, the chance of injury, in my opinion, is like super high. Like very, like if you don't play basketball for five years, 10 years, and then you all of a sudden go play spike ball one day on a Saturday with the boys, like chance of injury is much, much higher than if you were training like an athlete, in my opinion. So yeah, I don't ever want to come across like a know-it-all or like I like an expert, but these are just like through our experiences and things like that, and an in, intuition. Absolutely, and I mean the, all of this, of course, that we're talking just from our learned experiences, and we're just trying to yeah. help understand and, and not what's medical experts. For us. We're not like giving yeah. medical advice. And I don't think anyone's going to take it that way, but I know for me personally, like I have noticed a huge difference. I was the injury guy. I was always hurting and injured, and it's yes. because my diet, my training, and my recovery 
was nothing. The recovery was an all-time low. At an all-time <laughs> minimum. Lots thing. of like video games and Adele's and booze. It felt good, but at the time. Yes, but I, it really hurt my performance and I was hurt. And, and now I just notice things like I can go play golf. I can go work out. I can roll my ankle. I can move and get pushed weird. And I can feel my body being able to absorb and adapt to those things and not be injured. Well, how many, the do you do plyometrics and stuff in your workouts? Like oh, yeah. What do you do? We do all types of like lateral bounds, oh, yeah, like skip jumps, like and and in my warm ups and stuff, I I do a lot of different movements like that, mm-hmm. like my spinal hygiene routine that keeps what I think liberating my body moving. Yeah. But then yeah, there's all different types of movements like that, that I just want to keep my body moving in in those environments so it can adapt. Absolutely, yeah. So like, also part of that is, in my opinion, like the plyometrics is progressing them. So at ETS, like you're talking about the triphasic, I guess we can get to that. Like you, we have triphasic both for speed, agility, and plyometrics, like our speed system, as well as for our strength system. So the triphasic for like plyometrics and speed, um, we call static, reactive, and then the third phase is chaotic. So this would be a similar process that I would go through if I was creating a workout program would be creating a system that you can progress workouts, um, so you don't have to introduce yourself to like brand new movements every single week. You just find ways to make them more challenging um, using the same movements. So you don't have to like relearn things and mm. relearn technique on every single thing, especially for these young kids. Like obviously it might be a little different for like 25 year old, but I work with a lot of like 12 year olds. So we give them movements and then we cra- gradually progress those movements so that they don't have to relearn a movement every single week, but it challenges them and continues mm. to like. So a good example is like, on like any sort of plyometric we would do a lot of like diagonal bounds or lateral bounds so like the first phase the static phase would be landing or sorry jumping and then sticking and you're just holding that pause and being able to control the pause um, and the landing and then we do that for two to four weeks or whatever and then we go to reactive so it's from static with pauses and sticks to reactive where you're doing the exact same movement a diagonal lateral bound but now we're not pausing and we're just bounce, 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 bounce. So it challenges you. It's the same exact workout. We don't have to teach new things, but it just challenges you to learn the reactivity aspect of plyometrics. And then we do chaotic, which is adding resistance. So we're doing the same movements, static and reactive, but now we're out, we're all, we're adding an outside stimulus, like a band or something like that, that will add resistance or assistance. So the same type of thing for pretty much any workout that you create would be, creating a system of progression to like challenge yourself, which obviously people aren't probably making plyometric um, workouts for themselves, but that's a good idea of like a triphasic type of thing. Right. That's for speed. All right. So how about for the strength bros? Like, so there are ways that you can get stronger. And I know we talked about single leg training a lot, which is really great, but there are ways that our friends or we can go in the gym and get stronger, but also, you know, create this injury prevention type things. Like what kind Mm -hmm. of lifts should they be doing? that maybe are a little more accessible? Well, I would be doing those plyometrics if I was trying to be a good athlete. So like mm. 100%, I would be, if I was a one of our friends, and I'll get to the strength thing, but like just to summarize the speed and plyometric stuff, like if I was one of our friends that was trying to play basketball or whatever, I would be doing plyometrics probably at the beginning of my workout once to twice a week, something like that. Um, and doing some sort of jumping, bounding, box jumps, or and sprinting too. So I would be sprinting, um, so anyways, that would be part of the speed stuff. And I would be doing that before my workout. And do we need to warm up? Like, is there like a hundred percent? So what kind of stuff are they doing? Should we do to like warm up quickly before? 
So the it really depends on like what body part you're lifting. Obviously, like if you're doing plyometrics, you definitely have to do like a lower body warm up. And they did this on uh, PJF. Like I refer to Paul favorites a lot. They did a he did a vertical jump test using a force plate, which is like a plate you put on the ground and it, it measures how much force you're putting into it. And he did just raw right from I don't know whatever you want to call it, like just completely fresh. Um, you haven't warmed up yet, and they did the vertical jump. And then they did a five, 10 minute dynamic warm up, and then they did the exact same vertical jumps. And their vertical jumps, I think, improved by an average of five inches. Wow. Really? So, like, the same person who jumped 37 inches or 30 inches or whatever before warming up did the warm up, activated or whatever you want to call them, the muscles, and then jumped 35. The exact same person. Mm. So, I think it was four or five inches. I'd have to go back and look. But that's a good example of like, the benefits of warming up and a lot of people don't think there are benefits especially my kids and i get mad all the time because i'm like did you guys do the warm-up because you just got here two minutes ago and you're already starting to work out so i know you didn't do the warm-up right. um so it's just un- like people understanding <laughs> the why it's important and i i tell the kids that story that was me before when i was a kid too yeah it's <laughs> like you just want to jump into the gym and start working out but you're at a higher chance of injury you don't have your heart rate elevated you're muscles aren't like activated or warm to produce a lot of power so your odds are your chance of injury and your performance is going to go down as well so to summarize if i was doing a lower body lift um i would obviously like warm up all aspects of my legs so like a a squat pattern a hinge pattern so like a squat pattern would be something where you're bending your knees a lot like a a perfect squat or a um, we do gate swings, which I don't really know how to explain them, but, um, mm-hmm. something for the knees, something for the quads and then like a hinge, like we do single leg hip pop-ups. Um, so something that working on like your posterior chain, your lower back, your glutes, your hamstrings. So you can do a single leg hip pop-up. You can do an ice single leg hip pop-up isometric, which is what we do, like a hold at the top. Um, then something for your lower back most preferably like a reverse hyper or a superman i do we do a lot of supermans so like you're laying on your stomach hands and legs straight opposite leg opposite arm keeping your leg um your head down neutral spine all that stuff cross so lo- crawl yeah huh we call them cross crawls but yeah you're cross la- crawls yeah so you're laying on your stomach and you're going right arm up left arm back no right arm up left leg up l- l- i'm sorry that's what i meant yeah. right arm yeah opposite arm opposite leg and, yes and you just rock out like 30 or 40 of those no we'll do like eight so it'll oh, be do? like right arm, left leg. I like to have like a pause at the top so you're under control. And then you can also put a band around your knees. Like when I do my own warm up as a, like, and I give this to some of my older kids too, I put a band around my knees for that Superman. So I would do something to quote unquote activate. Um, that burns good too. I love the that warm up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Putting a band around your knees too in the next time or mm-hmm. your ankles. Ankles, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we do, like if you're doing... Your upper body, it's obviously, and you could do, you could still do this warm up for upper body too. It's not that you can, you only have to warm up the other half, mm-hmm. but especially if you're doing plyometrics, you definitely want to do that. We do pogo jumps, we do gate swings, something to open up the hips, um, some right. sort of glute activation. I do a lot of fire hydrants. If you know what a fire hydrant is, no, it's like the it? super, like the IG model type of, or whatever. The with the band, you put a band on your knees and you like, yeah, like push it out. And then, this is a hip that's opening up your hips, right? Hip. It's working on like your abductors, like this side of your hips and okay. then your glutes and then we also um we do it standing so we'll put one foot up in the air and do that fire hydrant and then the other foot is like stabilizing while like the resistance is changing. oh yeah that makes sense saying. so yeah. like you're standing on one knee and then you're pushing up i don't know it's pretty cool i do that a lot so um, i think the whole point of this though is like 
when we're warming up, we're not stretching. We're activating. And that's a pretty Most big difference. Most experts don't recommend like static stretching prior to force production, like prior to produ- like producing power. And I think most people will go to the gym and they're like, oh, I got to warm up. So then they start stretching. They start bending over and like stretching. But yeah. that's not what you're talking about to activate your muscles. I mean, I think everyone has a individual preference of what they feel they need to do to like prepare themselves. But yeah, I would definitely recommend something to increase your heart rate. Um and so that's probably not stretching as well as, yeah, like dynamically warm up. So doing like, yeah, squats and those type of like, things. Yeah. Squats and then squat jumps, something for your core. Like we do ball rollouts or mm-hmm. like a, a plank push up, like a low plank to a high plank. Um, so, yeah. And then upper body warming up your shoulders um, and, and progressing I, into like your heavy stuff. And I love that, too, because when I with the Oakland workouts and back at ETS, then you go from like that type of little warm up mm-hmm. into the first like set of exercise you do is also like an activation. So it might be like running or like tempo runs or mm-hmm. some sort of activation warm up that's kind of a lift, but it's not into your primary lift yet. Exactly. So I think it's great, too. I do that, too. We call them like primers or like, okay. uh, yeah, like activation type of stuff. So that's where we do a lot of our fire hydrants. Um We'll do low-level plyometrics, like, yeah, something extra before we get into, like, a, you know, throwing some weight around or whatever we're going to do for the heavy lift that day. Which I think is great and actually realistic, like, for us and our friends. Like, all right, you go into the gym and, like, how, you know, how de- deep of a warm-up are you really going to do? Hopefully you do some of this. But mm-hmm. then the first thing, don't just go right down a bench and throw as much weight as you can on. Like, do some sort of activation primer to also help you get kind of into it. I just don't think you're going to perform very well if you don't warm up. Like, yeah. I think people might not realize that. Um, but I think, yeah, like, one, I think you're probably at an increased chance of injury, plus you're just not going to perform as well. And that's the one thing. Like, when, when most people go to the gym, they're probably not looking to perform, unless we're talking about athletes. Obviously, that's the whole point for athletes. But some of us might just go to, like, get a, you know, get a pump and kind of get a lift in for the day mm-hmm. to where – you, you're obviously not going to perform as well on your list, but you're also, like you said, now you're at an increased risk for injury. And that's where I think you're really putting yourself behind for longevity. If you want to continue to move well as you age here and play the things that you love to play and be active, you can't just do that. I just think it has to do with the same thing we just talked about with the plyometrics, like gradually introducing stress, mm-hmm. like gradually. So like starting out and before we go balls to the wall, like let's adopt our body that we're about to start working out. We're like, prepare yourself versus like just jumping into heavy bench press. Like you're not going to perform as well and your body's like, yeah, higher chance of. And over time it's going to break at some point. Well, there's, there's definitely more scary exercises like to do than others. Like Mm -hmm. there's ones that you're at a lot higher chance of injury, like plyometrics, like um, some things with barbells, like barbells are not very forgiving and you can drop barbells on your chest. You can, like not finish reps on a squat and have it like collapse on you. So yeah, definitely more uh, risky exercises than others. So you have to be smart about that. And let's get into strength now. So strength is, you know, obviously a huge point of training and, and something that we're all kind of looking to build, you know, power and, and athletic ability. So what are ways... We're all trying to do that. Hopefully we are. <laughs> but what are some great ways that we can build that athletic ability without putting our body in stressful positions? During strength training? During strength training. What kind of, what are your main compound exercises you like to put your athletes through? Well, first of all, to explain the triphasic, which we've, I've forgot about like we 10 times. We just kind of twinkled around <laughs> that for like 20 minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. Um, well, to first answer the triphasic. So as a everyday gym bro, like the Swarnies and the Webers, um, the three different phases of a lift all have different 
um, purposes. And I would say that the majority of athletes spend too much time on, like in high school, we did like just the slow eccentrics. Um, or you're doing the complete opposite and you're just doing fast reps and you're not going down slow at all. So the purpose of uh, like the eccentric is like the lowering portion. So eccentric is one up, down, you know, one. Yeah. So like two, if you're at the top of a bench, three. it's lowering down to your chest. Right. That's the eccentric. Or like if you're on the top of a squat, it's the lowering portion. So that is for athletes what we call like building the brakes. So mm-hmm. building the body's building the body's ability to stop itself. And to decelerate, like that is what the eccentric does. So if you think about like running a comeback is a good example. Um, Like you're sprinting, you're looking for the ball, whatever, trying to fake it out. And then you're decelerating quickly. So your body's ability to stop itself. Land from a jump. Exactly. Same thing. Yep. So that's the point of the eccentric. So if you are not training the eccentric, odds are you're not going to get out of a comeback break very fast. Mm. Um. Or yes, jumping, same thing. So then what's concentric? Just it just normal. concentric is just the like the lifting portion of the like not maybe not lifting portion, but like the like if you're talking about like a deadlift, it's like the lifting off of the ground. Mm. So like that's the concentric. So and the eccentric, so for athletes it's building the brakes, like we talked about. And then for the everyday gym bro, that's the thing that breaks down like quote unquote, like breaks down the most muscle. So like That's uh, where you're gonna get sore. Very sore. So like that's a that's what creates a substantial percentage of the soreness. So the like eccentric motion. Yes, yes, the lowering portion. If you are the day before a game, or um, if you're playing golf the next day, or whatever the case may be, like you definitely want to not hammer the eccentric, especially if you're completely new to the gym. Um, yeah, you're not going to be able like to move your arms very well, or mm-hmm. you're going to be walking with like a limp. Like it's going to be you know you're going to damage your muscles a lot. Um, so that's the point of the eccentric. It's like what bodybuilders do to aesthetically make their muscles appear bigger and larger because it's what theoretically like breaks down the most muscle. So, and then con, so if we were just like, Hey, we're going to do a concentric training day Mm -hmm. today. What does that look like? Um, that would be like a deadlift. Like a deadlift is the best example. And you just go like up, down, like kind of Well, you can drop the weight too, but yeah, yeah, like just the lifting portion, like the lifting the deadlift off of the ground and dropping the weight. That's just the concentric or like a good example is like a sled push. So like if you're just doing the sled push, you're only doing the concentric. You're not absorbing anything. Mm. You're just doing the concentric. So like you can do a lot of sleds during season because you're not going to get very sore from it. Yeah. And, but most people who do like a bench press, like mm-hmm. they don't really go down slow. They just kind of pull it down. Well, some people up. do. Some people go down weight, like really slow. And some people, the majority of people, like you're saying, just go up fast. I'm just saying our friend. And yeah, most people yeah, just kind sure. of pull it up down. For yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. And what's, wh- so then what's the difference there? Are they building as much muscle if they're doing that compared to the slow down? Or what, what is the difference between eccentric and concentric? Um, like if you're going up, down fast, or if you're going like really slow down and then up. Um, the difference is, well, I guess like what the, the philosophy that a lot of people have is like the time under tension. So like, um, if you're doing eccentrics, chances are if you're doing three sets of 10 with three seconds or four seconds down, the overall time under tension of the muscle is far superior to Mm -hmm. three sets of 10 with one-on-one tempo, like up fast, down fast. Um, so if it's far... So if it's far superior, yeah. why would we ever go up, down, or fast? No, it's not far superior, but that's like the philosophy that hmm. would people would say is why it's better. Okay. Um, it's much more time under tension. It's also going to make you much, much more sore. 
Um, and that's like, like what I said, like if you're a bodybuilder, that, that might be what is best for you to like physically appear larger right. is doing more down slow stuff. So, but you also might be able to. So it produce, just depends on what your goals are. Really, you also might be able to move faster if you go down fast, up fast, right? Like you're probably going to be able to move that thing quicker than if you go down slow. Yeah, I mean, it depends how much weight you're doing, but yeah. Yeah, right. Like you could be going heavy, heavy, really heavy weight, and you're probably not going to move it very fast. But mm-hmm. yeah. So then why? So then the third part of it's isometric training, mm-hmm. and what what's the key to isometric? What's the purpose? Um. So isometrics are like holds. Um, or pauses at certain areas or ranges of motion. So the one that we most commonly use is probably, I mean, you do a lot of them actually, but a good thing for your Achilles would be like a single leg, like what I do for my Achilles, um, is like a, I go and hold like a wall or a railing and I do like a single leg ISO where I'm holding like a heel raise ISO. So I'm holding my heel as high off the ground as I can and just holding it. Mm. So that's a good thing for like tendon health, which is why I do it for my Achilles. Um, as well as it's the same type of thing where it's not going to make you that sore. So tendon health is the, probably the number one benefit of isometrics. So like if you are trying to keep your knees healthy, keep your Achilles healthy, your shoulders, like you do push-up ISOs or push up hold at the bottom or the halfway point, um, so they won't get you very sore. They're good for tendons. And they're also like really hard to cheat on too. Mm. Like you, you can cheat reps on a lot of different things. But if you're doing isometrics and holds, like it really exposes you if you're cheating or not. Because like if you're doing a push-up hold at the bottom you gotta for stay 30 seconds. Yeah, it's like yeah. you can't cheat. I don't yeah, really know how to explain move. it. Like you, phys- you can't make like use momentum. You're just literally staying and holding it. So it's, it's like. And yeah. I, I found that I love isometric training because mm-hmm. it makes your whole body stabilize in a lot of these movements, like a lunge or a push-up hold or just even a plank. And they're hard. They're brutal, too. They're so hard, and you feel your body And they won't make you that sore, working. which is great. So you're a big... I mean, I'm a big fan of isometrics. For I know, sure. I obviously listen to a lot of people they're who love them. fucking brutal, though. Like, really brutal. Like, if you do a lunge, like a split stance or a split squat where you're, like, in a lunge position... And your knees, their back knee is a couple inches off the ground. You just hold that for thirty seconds, like it's brutal. And that's what I, that's like the main one. I would say like oh, yeah. lunges the lower, is the main one that I do. Isometric the lunge twice. one's a good one, and then like a single leg hip pop up ISO. So like you're putting your shoulders up on a bench or something like that, and then you pop your butt up with single leg, put one up in the air, and mm. hold that, dude. And you're like glute and your hamstring, and your oh lower my back, gosh. just holding that position for thirty seconds. Like I said, you can't cheat. Like if your butt's sinking down, like it's so easy to tell that you're cheating. So as a coach, I'm like, lift your, like, it's super, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard, yeah. It's so super what, hard, but it's super easy to, to coach and, and tell the kid that they're cheating if they're not, like, all the way fully extended, you know? Right. So what are some other, like, good isometric workouts you like? I like stuff for the Achilles. Like, I think, like, obviously, I'm a little biased, but, like, um, chest-supported rows is probably my number one back workout. So, like, I lo- that's what the majority of the isometrics we do for, like, a pulling exercise would be a chest-supported row or, like, a pull-up ISO. So the holding at the top of a pull-up. Um, push up ISO or like the same thing as a, like a bench press. So like you're holding a couple inches off the chest on a bench press, same thing. Um, and then for lower body, yeah, it's like the split stance, like a lunge ISO mm. or a split squat, I should say. And, um, I also love single like hip hop ups. Oh, okay. Yeah. I also love what you said about cheating because I think that like some of the best athletes that I see in the gym and are, I've been around, they have supreme control of their body. Like they can control their body movements really well. And that is a lot of isometric training, like being able to hold certain positions like that, like holding a pull-up and being able to get in certain playing positions and be stable. Like a lot of athletes, good athletes I've seen around 
can, can really control their body like that. Yeah, and it's just it's just brutal, man. Like, and it's, I think that's the one that most people will stay like don't do. Like, we never did that in high school and mm-hmm. college. Like, nobody does that where you're like holding positions for a long period of time. And like, obviously, you don't want to be maybe doing like a two minute ISO. Like, I don't know what the benefits are of that. Um, Jake Kirsch can do like, he's a psycho. Um, yeah, he does like minute long lunge holds with like his front heel off the ground like he guy's a psychopath but um dude that's what 30 seconds and my legs are starting to burn dude that's a ton of it's in our training like i've got up to a minute with lunge holds like that do heel lift off your the front ground. heel yeah yeah it's, it's hard bro it it's is. really good but it, i mean you're burning and you everywhere some, and you're adding weight too like we go oh. suitcase like so two dumbbells or like a goblet so one mm. dumbbell like oh my god yeah. brutal dude those are great though super so, good and then like stick points is the, like the last thing that those would be considered so like if you're in basketball, like a good example is you're oftentimes in like the quarter squat position. So you can load that quarter squat position and hold it. So you're getting stronger in like the quarter squat position that you're in a lot of the times in basketball. Yeah, you don't have to go all the way down to 90 degrees. Yeah, like, so like there's definitely benefits of train of training different ranges of motion. So like that's a good example too. Like a stick point or a certain part where you're maybe weaker than others, you can just hold it in that position and get stronger in that specific position and that's fantastic as a golfer i know a lot of golf training i follow it's a mm-hmm. lot of like swing isos like mm-hmm. getting in certain positions in your swing and holding it there that you might build. not be comfortable with yeah like yeah. at the top of your swing or certain points of your swing that you get out of balance or whatever mm-hmm. to build that stability for sure that's awesome and i know we talked a lot about single leg training yes. i, I want to get into this i thought this was so cool about yes. how like you're more powerful off each leg than you are uh, or like yeah, like it's off, called the bilateral deficit. Yeah, just go, man. Um, well, it's, you know, it's something that I fear, like, you hear about it a lot of times when you're in the strength and conditioning world, but then if you, when you actually practice it in real life, it's kind of fascinating. So we did it with one of our kids. His name's Kyle. He's a stud. And Let's go, Kyle? Yeah, dude, Kyle. I love him. Um, Kyle Kavik. 82 push-ups in 60 seconds. Just a monster. 14 years old. Beast. But... Um, anyways, so we had him do a single leg vertical jump test. So seeing how strong he is and how explosive he can get himself off the ground on one leg, did it on the other leg. And then we did it with both legs. So this like is the practical, um, implementation of the bilateral deficit. He jumped like 18 inches on one and 19 on the other. I can't remember which, but, and then, yeah, on single leg. And then, uh, both legs, he jumped like 24, I think. So. So he wasn't that far behind off single leg. No, like if you combine it, it's like 37 compared to 24. So it's right. a huge difference. A lot of people you would think if you're jumping 24 on two legs, you're probably jumping like 12 on each leg. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe people don't think that, but like that would be your initial thought. Like you're probably the same, but um, no, far, far more power off of one leg. And then you could combine the two versus just double leg. So theoretically, if you always train, not always, but if you spend a lot of time training single leg, you'll over time get much, much more power and volume done because you're doing it on a single leg. So you're getting 150 or whatever percentage more than if you just did double leg squatting and double leg deadlifting. Right. So you guys do a lot of single leg squats and load those. Yes. Very, very much, very much. Which makes a lot of sense. I think that's so cool. And it, I we just didn't do that a lot when I was no we did none of it we did we sat in a machine it we was the a lot of leg of press but yeah. even as I was leg starting presses. to get into training it was a lot of squats or yes. you know two we do leg like, we don't do like any back squatting literally barely any lots of single legs so like we will do um, our main lifts that we do as like a primary would be for lower body um, a Bulgarian split squat and a or like a normal split squat or reverse lunge some sort of single leg um, squat pattern and then. Um, 
pistol squats. So mm. those will be the two primaries. And then we'll do trap bar deadlifts. So that's the double leg aspect of things that we get a lot of. Um, would be trap bar deadlifts and Bulgarian and pistol squats. Those are like the three most common that we do. And I love that. I mean, I, as a golf person too, and any golfers out there listening, like those are huge ones. And Great. the trap bar deadlift is fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, the trap bar deadlift and single leg Bulgarians, I would say are like the two main ways that I load heavily. Mm-hmm. And you know what's crazy to your point about single leg squats is that when I do heavy deadlifts, trap bar deadlifts, like I get sore and tired, no question. But when I do heavy loaded Bulgarian spin, they're brutal, bro. My energy, I'm toast. Toast. Like, I feel like I got nothing left. I can yes. barely move after. It's unbelievably different loading system. And it's like on your energy system, it, it takes it differently. Well, and sports are just played on single leg the most of the time. So, like, I know it's different for like the 26 year olds, but like for our, our kids, like a lot of sports, you're, jump, you're playing off one foot at a time. So, getting you strong on single foot. And we do like a test at the beginning of our evaluations where we put all of our kids and we do a Bulgarian split squat test. So we have them test. And a lot of these kids are so weak when you put them on one leg, mm. you will, you would never know unless you did those one legged tests, how weak they are on in each individual leg. And so you load that position and you know, there is like a stability. And I think we talked about this all weekend, pretty much like a stability and power paradigm. Mm-hmm. So like the less stable you are, the less power you can produce in that position. So there is a, a balance of the two. Like you don't want to be doing single leg stuff on Bosu balls. Like it's just such an unstable surface. You're not going to produce that much power because right. you're spending so much of your energy balancing. So there, there's, you know, a balance of the two, but like, we do a lot of single leg squat patterns and then double leg hinge patterns. Like we talked about, like, because a single leg RDL, in my opinion, is much more, unless you're like grabbing a pole, much more, much less stable, I should say, than a single leg Bulgarian. Like, I feel like you have more balance in a single leg Bulgarian right. for some reason versus a single leg hinge, like a RDL. So we do a lot of double leg RDLs, double leg um, hinge patterns, and then single leg squat patterns, if that makes sense. It does. So because when you're loading, you want to be in a more stable position, like producing power than like when you're doing an RDL. Well, there's a balance of both. Like you definitely want to like single leg RDLs aren't bad. It's just if your goal is power, like you're not going to produce that much power. It's like a good stability thing. But if you're talking about power, yeah, you're not going to get a lot of power from a single leg RDL. But in my opinion, you can get a lot of power from like a Bulgarian split squat. Because you're more stable. You're not trying to stabilize. Exactly. And there's a place for both. A hundred percent. But like yeah. at the beginning of your workout, you're, you just did your like primer and then you're getting into your heavy lift. Like I would not do, do a single like RDL. Like I would be doing. Yeah. So the whole Bulgarian point. split squats, pistol squats, trap bar deadlift, as well as like, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but no. the, another, the three main reasons we do single leg is one the bilateral deficit that we talked about. Number two is the stability. So you do want a level of stability, like that your, your knee has to stabilize yourself when you do single leg stuff. Or if you lift your front heel off the ground, um, and then the third one is it halves the load on your spine. So, like, if you go from, mm. you know, I like I always consider it like a sandwich. I don't know if that makes sense. But, like, the barbell, if you have a uh, barbell on your back with 405 and you're doing back squatting, and then that's coming. It's not forgiving at all. A barbell is not forgiving. So, right. like, that's coming down on your spine, right? And then you have your lower body pressing you up while the, the weight's coming down. It's like putting your spine in, like, a sandwich. That's how I like to think about it, and it makes me, like, Makes sense, but yeah. it like it like hurts me to think about. <laughs> you feel the pain right yeah, now. Yeah, like what I don't know what the word is to describe that, but like, yeah. anyways, that's what I and I don't like to do that to twelve year old. I don't like to compress their spine like that when they might not have the lower body strength, so or the lower back strength, I should say. Right. Um, so we'll cut the load in half, 
so from 405 on a back squat to 225 and do single leg squatting. So mm. it halves, it halfens the load, whatever that word is, on the spine, gives you the stability of a single leg, which you're on the, a single leg for the majority of, of sports, um, and you get the bilateral deficit. So instead of like four sets of six on back squat, we'll do four sets of six each on single leg squatting. Right. And just to go back to what you're saying, like, so when you're squatting, like doing power, like your primary lift is for power and strength. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. For Okay. But when you decide to do that, yeah. you don't want to also be like a goal to be stability where you have to like stabilize. Like, yeah, if like you're going to do, do it, you, yeah, you don't want to do a single leg squat, like on a BOSU ball. Like that makes no sense. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what I just wanted to get to. Like, what yes. is your, you got to you see someone on a BOSU is. ball doing weightlifting, like. Doesn't make sense. No, we call that fluff at ETS. Like hurdles, or not hurdles, um, ladders, ladders, mm. like it's all bullshit. It's all fluff. It's just like aesthetically maybe looks ap- appeasing to some people that don't know anything about strength training, right. but has no practical application to anything like BOSU ball stuff, ladders, like the ladders we used to do in, in high school and college. I hate those things. Like they make no sense to me. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so call like, that fluff. Yeah. Fluff. But like pick, don't try to do stability and like pick, or is this a power workout or is this force? Like there's yes. going to be crossover. You got to know what your goal is and your purpose is. And you don't need to try to max out stability and power at the same well, time. Well, like we don't play sports on a BOSU ball. So like it makes no sense to me. But right. I do love this. I really love the single leg stuff. And I think it's great. It I think is we great, need to dude. Do if you implement that. it, just like try it out. It's, it's fucking awesome. And going back to your environment, like doing things that you're going to do in your environment of your sport or mm-hmm. your environment of whatever you do in life, like. Don't freaking just sit on like, yeah, like the the basketball, like men's basketball pickup, or I guess girls too, or um, spike ball. Like those are examples. Like those are environments, and if you don't prepare your body for that environment by doing like cutting and changing direction and plyometrics, like you're fucked. Like you're gonna you're gonna hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I not. tore my Achilles, and it was literally the worst. So I would I- want to do all I can to help my friends not do that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's what it's about. Like, what what's the hierarchy of training? We've talked about hierarchy of like training sure. and nutrition. Um, yes, and you love this point, and you've kind of taught me this stuff. But like, and and it's it's a big topic. What's important? What is at the utmost importance? And then what is the fluff at the bottom? That's like the window dressing. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to training, what's at the top of the the pyramid? Yeah, like I think hierarchies are tremendously important to understand because. And we talked about this with golf too. Like you can apply in business, like you can apply a hierarchy of like what's important and what's bullshit to any system or any business or any part of your life. Um, But, and the reason I brought this up to you initially is because a lot of my friends will DM me and be like, or text me and say, Hey, what what BCA should I buy? Or like, um, I can't think of a lot of other things that they say, but like, that's a big one. BCAs that like gives me and, what little supplement is going to help yeah, me like, take like, it to the next level? Or like, um, I'm trying to think of another analogy. Yeah, the BCAs is a good example. Like, if you're not understanding the the fundamentals of training or nutrition or um, supplements, like, you have to master the fundamentals, which make up 95% of your success before you touch the 5% that really don't mean anything. So, like, sleep, obviously, is a big one, too. It's like sleep, training, nutrition. Like, those are... The fundamentals. Um, so, what was your hierarchy that you want to know about first? What training. was the one you asked about what training? Are like, yeah, what are the foundations of training that you need? What, um, are the, what are the most important? That's a good question. General. Well, it really depends on what your goals are, but um, like a good example is like basketball. Like, as a basketball player, like you would think progressive overload is super super important, but there's there comes a point where 
the skill at the actual sport is more important than gaining, continuing to gain strength. So like once you get the minimum effective dose of a certain, um, like weightlifting is a good example. Like at the end of the day, like we have to get good at the sport of basketball. So we should spend the majority of our time doing that while still doing just, um, a little bit of strength training enough to like compete and get by and not let that be the limiting factor. But anyways, the reason I brought that up is cause like it really depends on the, in mm. the situation and the individual, but, um, the hierarchy of training would be understanding progressive overload. That's a big one, like volume mm. and plateauing. And so like a lot of people, including myself, including you probably go through plateaus in, in weightlifting and, you get a lot of new, uh, newbie gains or whatever you want to call them at the beginning where you see a substantial amount of progress um, because your body is not accustomed to weightlifting. But then after a couple months, like you're going to start to plateau. And right. it's, not, it's not easy to continue to get stronger. So progressive overload, I would probably put as one of the, the main um, things in the hierarchy of training, which is like we talked about earlier, like understanding that your total volume has to increase in order for you to continue to um, stress your body to get stronger. So, um, sets, reps, weight, and there's also like, um, tempo, like we talked about Mm -hmm. and, um, rest time. Those are like the two extra categories you could put in there, but for the most part, it's sets, reps, and weight for progressive overload Mm -hmm. and increasing that total number is, you know, depending on what your goals are important for you to continue to get stronger. Um, so let's just go, let's go to the hierarchy of health, which is something we talk about nutrition a lot. Like what are the physical, what are the physical key? health? Yeah. Physical health and nutrition. Like you said, going back to your BCAAs thing. Mm-hmm. So BCAAs is the number one most important thing, right? Yeah. No. Well, people think that that's going to like bring them to their goals quickly. Like everyone wants like the easy, you know. Oh, for sure. As soon as someone starts working out or starts getting into it, they're like, all right, what do I need? What, what supplements do I need? Now I'm going to mm-hmm. be super jacked. It's like, that is just so far down the line of what you need. Like, what are the fundamentals of health and nutrition? What are the top? And uh, for me, it's like being consistent, getting eight hours of sleep, right? Like, yeah. like eating or getting enough protein. Yes. Eating vegetables. Like, those are way more important than whether or not you had your BCAAs during your workout. 100%. BCAAs, give me, yeah. Anyways, um, nutrition. So, like, once again, me and you are not, like, don't claim to be experts. We just, you know... We don't, we're not, this isn't like medical advice. It's just like from our opinion and what, and from our experiences. Um, and Gabe is also jacked. As <laughs> that. The kid is looking good these days, folks. Um, but like, so from a training perspective, you have to understand, or no, sorry, nutrition, um, the hierarchy of nutrition. So it really depends on what your goals are. So if your goals are to gain weight, which for at, a lot of my athletes, that is their goal. But for, obviously, it's the opposite for a lot of our older friends. Like when you graduate college, you're getting in the workforce. The majority of the time, you're trying to lose weight. So like right. I would say 90% of our friends are trying to lose weight. Um, so it really depends. Like a lot of our kids, my kids that I work with are trying to gain weight. So obviously, it really depends on what your individual situation is. But for the most part, um, I would say understanding that... I mean, and we feel differently about, like, sugar and bad food, but, like, I don't think there is uh, anything bad with consuming the foods that you consider, or that not you, but, like, anyone considers bad foods. I just think it's understanding that the overall, um, like, the things that are overall important to maintaining a healthy body weight and having a more lean body mass, and what are those things? So, like, obviously, if you're trying to lose or gain weight, calories is king, Um so if you're trying to, and doing it at a 
good pace. Mm-hmm. Um, not trying to lose five pounds a week. So understanding calories are the number one thing that determines weight loss and weight gain. And doing that so it... I would definitely... And I, I write posts about this sometimes and I like put it on Instagram, but like I would definitely educate myself on the amount of calories that are in the foods that I eat. So if you are brand new to wanting to be healthy and, and things like that, I would probably try to track the amount of calories that you consume on a daily basis and like educate yourself on the amount of calories that are in the foods that you eat. Um, it might surprise you um, with like the... Definitely. Yeah. That's one of the best educations you can get is just tracking the foods you commonly eat. Exactly. You start to understand how much you're eating and then you get a base knowledge just like you're saying. And like how much protein is in here. Like if I'm trying to hit a certain protein goal, like how, and like you don't have to do it forever. Like right. I can do it on top of my head like in two seconds. I just like know, okay, I had this, this, and this. How many calories am I at today? How many grams of protein am I at? Okay, so this is what I have to shoot for for the rest of the day. So like and a Pop-Tart or um, whatever can be included in that. Like I, I think what's most important is the calories based off of your goals to weight, gain or lose weight and then having a high-protein diet to, to increase lean body mass and, um, yeah, be more satiated. I think protein will help with that too. So Absolutely, but just going back to the hierarchy of it, like mm-hmm. – Total calories, like you said, counting calories, understanding how much protein you get is so much more important than you getting a protein shake 20 minutes after your workout. Yes. Like when we go to the... Like meal timing and yeah. Yeah. Like so many people are like obsessive with like, oh, do I need a meal right after? Like what do I need to do? Like get your total calories in check and make sure you're eating enough protein throughout the day. That's way more valuable than when you eat that. And if you have, you know, some BCAAs or the the greatest whey protein in the world. A hundred percent. Like, it, yeah, exactly. Like you have to be checking the box of so many more things before you should even worry about BCAs or meal timing. Like calories is number one, in my opinion, like calories and protein are both number one. Like they're one, a one B, whichever like Lane Norton puts calories first, but then the, I can't remember the guy's name. He was arguing with the other day, but that guy put protein first. And like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're gaining or losing weight if it comes from muscle and stuff like that. So, like, the number one thing should be protein intake and making sure we're having a lot of lean body mass, and then the calories will take care of itself. So, like, either way, whatever way you slice it, calories and protein are definitely number one and one a, or one a and one b. Um, obviously, having the majority of your foods from like real food and not like mm-hmm. processed bullshit will help you feel better about yourself mentally and physically. Like being not deprived you have of more energy. More energy and, like, not deprived of vitamins and, like, Mm. minerals. So, like, that will help you feel better. Um, You can obviously, like, take multivitamins to help supplement that, but I don't think there's anything that really compares to, like, real food. So as long as the majority of your food and you're meeting your mineral and vitamin demands um, and you're not, like, deficient in a lot of things, I think that will help a lot, Um, as well as getting good sleep. That's, like, like, I don't know what would be more important than getting good sleep, honestly. Like, because if you're not getting good sleep you're fucking with a lot of your hormones. You're fucking with your ability to burn fats like, and have good energy, which will help like decrease your performance in the weight room. So like, sleep might be the king. It's kind of ar- like I don't really know. But I was going to say, if we're going to go hierarchy, that's really close. Sleep might be number one. If honestly. you're eating 5,000 calories a day, and you, then you might be like, that, that might be effing you up more. I don't know. But if you're not sleeping... If you're not sleeping, you will not see a lot of progress in any aspect of your life. And everyone, that is such a great point. And I mean, I feel like if you listen to this podcast, I mean, I talk about sleep a million and a million times, but like your body, to, there's so many studies, but it's so, so much many easier things. Said than done. Yeah. There's so many things though, that just show your ability to burn fat, save muscle, recover and perform. It's just so important. If you take your life seriously, you need to be getting to sleep. You can't stay up and watch Netflix till 3am 
wake or up just at put six. some freaking blue light glasses on or something. That helps. Like twenty bucks. Well, that helps too. But at the end of the day, you just you have to just take sleep as a priority. 100%. It has to be important. To it you. has to be. And like a lot of things affect sleep. Like um, myself, marijuana affects sleep. So I try not to. But like it's the same thing with alcohol. So like if you are trying to get your life in order, I mean, and I'm, I don't want to be preachy, but like a lot of people smoking or drinking before bed really fucks with your sleep. So, um, you know, I get insanely better sleep if I don't smoke before bed. It's crazy. So, um, anyways, figuring that out, limiting blue light. Some people say you're not supposed to have a lot of food before bed, which, you know, I think I've have gotten great sleep. If I eat a lot before bed, I've gotten really shitty sleep when I don't eat anything. So, you know, I think that's a personal thing. I mean, I don't know if it's personal. I just don't really, you know, that's something. It's not, I'm not an expert in sleep, so I don't want to try to be. But well, there's a lot of people that will say the digestive system is is going, and then you can't, you know, the melatonin production is delayed because your digestive system is going, so that, like, that affects they your say sleep. Insulin and melatonin like don't jive. So like, if you increase, if you, spike, if you spike your insulin, your melatonin production is like going to be affected. So and it could, but there's also people that sleep great eating late too. So it's yeah. like. I think it's just yeah. There probably there probably is something to not eating right before bed. There's no question about that. You know what else is important? Which this is obviously your thing, but like the difference in diets. So like dieting, when it comes to like nutrition and the hierarchy, it's a a huge thing to understand. Is that no diet is magic? Like keto, vegan, carnivore. um, What's another big one? Keto plant based. Plant based, yeah, like vegan, whatever. all of those flexible dieting, that's like what kind of I do, or intermittent fasting, that's what I was thinking of. Um, like all of those diets are not magic, and you can be unhealthy on any of those diets. Mm-hmm. But the, the things that are in common with those diets that make them successful are they make it more feasible or easier, quote unquote, to, if you're trying to lose weight, if your goal is to lose weight, to be in a calorie deficit. Mm-hmm. They almost all the those diets eliminate processed foods and sugars and refined carbohydrates. Well, not flexible food. dieting though. Flexible dieting is the one that doesn't. But those flexible dieting is counting calories. You have to understand calories. Exactly. So that's what I was trying I'm, to say. Yeah, and I'm saying a plant based diet, a keto diet, like a, a good one. If you're doing carnivore correctly, mm-hmm. if you're intermittent fasting, like most of the time on those diets, you're not eating starburst. Well, but I think the real reason, and this is a debate, um, but. In my opinion, the number one reason that those foods are negative for you is that they have absolutely zero satiation and they will not make you feel full whatsoever, tending that tends to lead to overeating. So like a Starburst by itself, I think I don't think a Starburst is bad. I think the fact that a Starburst does not allow you to feel any sort of satiation as well as doesn't provide any nutrients. So obviously if you have all Starburst, it's gonna be you're not gonna feel great at all. You're not going to have a lot of protein. But just I'm talking about like one Pop-Tart, so 300 calories out of a 3,000 calorie, like that's kind of what I have. Like, It's not going to kill you. It's, it's not, not going to kill you yes. if you accomplish the rest of the thing. So like... You can't be scared of food. I 100% You cannot be that. scared of those foods. and If it's within your body, if you're not overeating on them. Exactly. The number one reason that those foods, in my opinion, are bad is because they have no satiation. They like... Like Rhonda Patrick talks about that, like yeah. ATP trapping. And so it traps your like hunger hormone and stuff like that. So it, uh, it doesn't like you can eat an entire bag of chips and not feel full. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've like, I'm sure you've done that. I've done that. Oh my God. So times. Many times. Yeah. So that's, I think um, one of the main reasons that cutting out those types of foods helps is because 
you feel more full. And that's what I was trying to say. Don't to, lead to binge eating. Yeah. To your point though, about all the diets, like you say, it, all the diets, they're just, they're not magic. They, yeah. What I think all of them in common, and that's why so many different diets work is because most of those diets, whole 30, they eliminate those foods. But what I was trying to say is like, we shouldn't demonize the quote unquote bad foods. Like it's not the elimination of those bad foods. Cause I don't think you have to eliminate those bad foods. Mm-hmm. I think it's, the reduction of those bad foods, like you it can't make up a large percentage of your calories because you will just not get enough nutrients. You won't get enough protein. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason a vegan diet is successful, in my opinion, if you are in a calorie deficit is because um, plants and vegetables are very, very low on calories. And it's very difficult to overeat broccoli and like spinach. Like they're so low calorie. Mm-hmm. So you can be very full. You're not eating a lot of calories, but you can also overeat and be uh, overweight vegan and not very healthy. Even if you're getting rid of meat, which is quote unquote bad for you, they say. Um, the same thing with uh, carnivore diet. Like carnivore diet, yeah, it is the elimination of a lot of processed foods, but it's also that protein is very satiating. It's mm-hmm. very difficult to eat five chicken breasts. Like exactly. chicken breasts are you're not you're gonna feel full after the second one. So like or same thing if meat like with the like red meat. So carnivore is the same thing. It allows you to be more satiated, which hopefully will lead you to eating less food and feeling less hungry. Um, intermittent fasting is the same thing. Intermittent fasting takes whatever, 16 hours of the day out of your feeding window. So then during those eight hours, you are less likely to overeat, even though a lot of people, including myself have done, have like, will binge during those eight hours and just eat continuously. So you can overeat and be very unhealthy on intermittent fasting. But it, since you're only eating eight hours, um, you theoretically have less time to consume calories, which will make it, quote-unquote, easier to eat less food. So the principle, and, and this is something we totally 100% agree on, is when it comes... I think we agree on, like, everything. Yeah, when it comes to your body weight, and when if you're just talking straight body composition and body weight, and you want to look get a good physique, it's all about calories. It doesn't matter what diet no, you do. No, protein, too. Well, yeah, sorry, calories and protein. But I'm just saying it's not about doing keto. Like, it's just about... The reason they all work and they can work is because your calories and protein, if you want to get your body weight down, you have to be in a calorie deficit. Yeah, that's like Lane Norton's number one thing. And like he has all the studies in his, like I've listened to hundreds of hours, not maybe not hundreds, but a lot of hours of Lane Norton talk. And he talks about like, yes, if you equate for protein and calories, a good example is there was a study that we talked about that one group had 10 grams of sugar, one group had 100 grams of sugar, but they equated for protein and calories and both groups lost the exact same amount of weight they had the exact same markers when it comes to inflammation and all that type of stuff. So as long as you equate for protein and calories, you will have a high, and I guess we can talk about how much protein, but you will have a, a better body composition um, considering the other things which affect that, which is sleep and um, resistance training, like strength training. If you're doing resistance training, sleep, and eating a high-protein diet, you will do your best to have a good body composition and lean body mass. And I agree. And that's why, like, all the diets work. It just it comes down to calories when it comes to losing weight. Now, there are other there are little intricacies of a plant-based diet mm-hmm. or a carnivore diet or intermittent fasting that some things might be going on, but depending on what you believe. And, and we don't really know for sure what's going on internally. But when it comes down to losing and gaining weight, we know that calories and protein are what matters. Yeah, and choosing the diet that you can sustain is the number one thing. Yeah, so, what can you be consistent with? What do you like? I, I like eating carbohydrates. I like eating pizza. I like eating Pop-Tarts. I like eating zebra cakes. Um, and I eat those foods regularly. But I also keep track of the amount of calories I eat day to day. And I shoot for a gram of protein per pound of body weight, which is like the high end 
for protein intake. So if you're a hundred and, and I guess it's kind of technically by lean body mass, but, um, yeah, I shoot for like 150 cause I'm like 165 pounds or so. So mm-hmm. I'm like 150 or so grams of protein per day, which I think a lot of people are probably not hitting is like a gram of protein per pound of body weight, which is the highest end. Like you could probably get away with, I think it's like 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7, to one gram, you know, depending on if you're in a cal- like if you're in a calorie deficit, you want to have more protein intake than if you're in a calorie surplus. But yeah, if you're trying to lose weight, I would definitely recommend eating much more protein than most of our friends probably do eat. Yeah, because if you're lifting and you're tr- and you're gaining weight and you're in a calorie surplus, so you're eating more than a maintenance level calorie, mm-hmm. you don't have to eat as much protein because your body is anabolic. It has a lot of different nutrients and resources to draw upon. Now, if you get into a calorie deficit, you're trying to cut weight protein becomes way more important because I still think protein not to cut you off but I still think it matters how much protein in a calorie surplus like you still have to be getting a, a substantial amount of protein but I mean, you're like your your body is more in an anabolic state like you're talking about yeah you want you definitely want protein but like again this is going down to lay Norton's course and all and a lot of nutritionists and stuff that I've learned mm-hmm. is that as you get in a surplus protein becomes less important because you have other nutrients For and sure. your body is not at a deficit when you go into a deficit that's when you need need protein because to hold your lean body mass or else when your body is deprived of nutrients and food, it's going to start burning in your muscle. hundred percent. And that's why protein becomes more important. But and most protein's of our friends always are going to, most of our friends are trying to lose weight. So that's more common is the calorie deficit. And so like if you're eating, if you're trying to lose weight and you're re- like resistance training, you're lifting, but you're eating 50 grams of protein a day, like you're not going to be very successful because you're going to lose weight. You know, there's a difference between losing weight and losing fat. Yes. And then, so that's important. And it's a great point because I went plant-based for about eight months. Like, Oh, how was that? I, know, I didn't. Have you told me that? Last winter, yeah. I, I think we talked about it a little bit, but... Plant-based? I was you know, I was talking about plant-based a lot. I know later. you had a lot of plants. I didn't know it was like you didn't eat any meat for eight months. Well, I will, okay. There's probably three or four months in there where I was like pretty dang strict. Like rarely, rarely had meat. And then on the, on mm-hmm. the shoulders of that, I would have meat sometimes, but I was like very plant-based. And... I wanted to just see how I feel. Now, my experience with going plant-based like that, my energy, fantastic. Felt great. I was fasting a lot too. Energy was really good. I lost a ton of muscle. But were you eating a lot of protein? I mean, I was trying to, but you can't eat as much. Like I was doing pea protein shakes, which was help. But it's really hard to get a good amount of protein on a plant-based diet. Yeah, I think you have to be a little bit more meticulous and more... Yeah, extremely, and it's not convenient. It's very inconvenient in the world we live in, especially if you're on the move, if you're working, moving around a lot. I think you're gonna piss off some vegans though, or plant-based people. I think plant-based is awesome. (laughs) I think it's fantastic. But I think if you want to be, if you want to maintain mass, it is extremely hard. I'm not saying you can't do it. Of course you can. People do it, but you know, being convenient is not the easiest route. So yeah, you definitely would have to have some. uh, I don't honestly. I'm not even familiar with like plant-based foods that yeah, rice and beans if you put them together making complete protein like there's different ways you got to supplement you got to have rice protein and beans for... so rice, rice and beans together give you all of the amino acids feels like you go to the bathroom a lot though on that and it's a lot of calories bro like a lean piece of chicken or the same amount of rice and beans is way more calories for the same amount of protein i know but people talk about like like the negative aspects of uh, meat which is like heme iron and like some of that stuff. So they're talking about like the elimination of that, those foods, as well as like the ethical reasons for eliminating meat, which mm-hmm. obviously, you know, each person can. Which do, makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Yep. That's not how I feel, but um, yeah, I think that I think you can be like Alejandro Fenn 
from Minnetonka, one of my best friends, is completely vegan, plant-based. One of the smartest people I know, one of the most driven, healthy people I know. So people can be super healthy on that. But like you said, like you're not going to get B12. It's more difficult, I think, to get protein because you can't eat meat. Which so are, much more difficult. You can't eat eggs either, right? No. I mean, it depends. So there's pescatarian. There's, there's like all the different kinds. Fish is great. Yeah, people fish should, is fantastic. I don't know. Do you, you eat fish? So vegetarian means you have like fish and eggs. Right. And yeah, vegan, straight vegan is none of that. And there's like pescatarian. Or like pescatarian. I probably should be more educated on that. Yeah, there's a bunch of different levels of it. Vegetarian, yeah. vegan, they don't all mean this. Like it's different. Well, but, plant-based only means like, because the, what's the, the documentary? Game Changers. Yeah. That got a lot of backlash. But plant-based doesn't even mean elimination of foods. It just means substantial reduction. It means like... You know, you can still have meat on plant-based. It just means the bulk of your calories is from, like... And, and most people should eat a lot more plants. Like, we should all eat a lot which more... Which is something I don't do, yeah, to we be should, honest. I'm sad. We should, I feel great when I have a wide range of vegetables and I veggie. Know. It's so good and fresh and it's so good for you, but anyway. What do you... Well, talk to me about that, because I don't do that. Like, okay. what do you... Like, how do you easily make that? Because the only thing I make is, like broccoli in the oven or whatever like i don't really it's hard i guess like spinach in in smoothies do you put them in smoothies yeah spinach in all my smoothies so i have to and then i have a lot of prebiotics i I love kombucha like i'm sipping on kombucha all the time so kombucha and celsius yeah look maybe mix it that'd be good but kombucha is a big one but okay so if if like my favorite thing is to make a big bowl you just put in like it's hard to make it your own but if you're going out you can do it a lot okay different places but olives like banana peppers avocado like i just want to see green spinach like get a good dressing in there mm-hmm. and just mix it all up and you just feel freaking like amazing yeah you know but um i had one more thing to say about the plant-based life well yeah. and i think the sorry to cut you off but like the those bad foods though the definitely the negative because i was talking about how they're not like quote unquote bad for you but a huge negative like we talked about is like the mental um like, because you have the insulin spike, right? And then yeah. you crash, and it's blood like, sugar spike, and blood then, sh- and then like cravings. But then, but then you feel so bad about yourself when you eat a bad food. Like, mm. it's physically you're slouched, like you don't feel good about yourself at all physically, and then mentally, it's like, why did I eat that? I feel so shitty about myself. Right. So I do think that's in like in maybe an underrated aspect of like those type of foods is the effect it has on your mental mm. of like not stress, but like regret or whatever the word is. Like 100%. I feel so bad about myself after I eat a zebra cake, but it tastes so good in the moment. I know. And that's one of the so most bad. important things though about like quote unquote cheat meals or like bad mm-hmm. foods is like if you aren't happy doing it, like if you can't be like, okay, I've, I want to have this, this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. If you feel bad, that guilt, that guilt's almost guilt. worse that's than the, the food. For. Yeah. The guilt is worse than the bad food. It's so bad. That mental state and so, aura is terrible. The bad terrible. food by itself is not bad. If you're a healthy body weight, if you're eating a lot of protein, if you're training, you're getting exercise, like those foods are not bad for you by themselves yeah but yes like the mental aspect of things it really fucks and with dude you. that's why i love fasting that's one of the reasons i love fasting so much especially when you get into long fast is like being able to restrict yourself from the basic human instinct of mm-hmm. eating that in discipline. a world that's conven- convenient for two to three days like i feel powerful for like, sure and and it's it's such a hard thing to do and if i don't have people around me sometimes i'm like Oh my God, I, I literally will start to walk to the store. I'll be like, fuck it. I'm doing it. I'm eating. I have to. But getting over that is such a powerful thing with fasting and some of the other great benefits of longevity and get all of that. But that, that mental aspect of it, it's, it's a sharpness that I really like. 100%. And the, but also on fasting, the, the downside to fasting would be that for athletes or for someone like that's a bodybuilder that's trying to 
you gain muscle and stuff like that, it might not be the best diet for you. It's so, definitely not. Yeah. So like if you're taking 16 hours off of eating food when you have to hit a certain calorie goal or a certain protein goal, or like obviously they talk about like muscle protein synthesis is like 40 or 50 grams every four hours or something like that. So like if you are intermittent fasting, you're definitely not hitting those certain checkpoints. So you might not be maximizing your muscle. So that'd be like generally the really only downside of fasting would be that and that's you're great, not maximizing your muscle growth. That's a great point because you can't make up for mu- you can't make up for a protein deficiency later in the day. Like you can't eat 150 no, grams of protein at one time. The max yeah. you can get is like it's you like said. 40 to 50. Yeah, it depends yeah. who you ask, but yeah, it's around there in an hour, and and it's usually about an hour to two depending on your training level and mm-hmm. stuff that you have in between each time to maximize your protein. Yeah, I don't know what the anabolism. Hour, yeah, I agree though. Everyone will argue different things, but Certain it's generally numbers. like it's an, like the same time. Yeah, time. it's yeah. like an hour to two hours. So. Again, if you're trying to maximize your protein intake, you want to get 150 grams a day. You can't eat it all at one time. You got to take break. You got to get you know 40 grams at one point. You know, wait two, three hours, 40 grams again. Well, and there, again. but there are there are other um, functions of protein besides protein synthesis. So it's not like you can't do it all. And and if the fasting, if you're trying to lose weight, like we're not trying to say don't fast because you can definitely gain. If you're a beginner, you can gain muscle fasting like that's one of the exceptions because a, a big thing that people might not understand is that scientifically like some people say that you you cannot physically gain muscle and lose fat at the same time that's like a big which is why bodybuilders go through phases of cutting and bulking because right. they focus on one area at a time so therefore they're hopefully gaining as much muscle as possible and then they're going into a fat cutting phase where they're trying to eliminate the fat while keeping the muscle and they go on those types of cycles to maximize their cuz you can't as an advanced athlete it's very difficult to do both but as a beginner athlete or I'm glad you just said that it depends where you're at in your training 100% if you're advanced it's really hard if you're a beginner easy you can definitely do both yeah you can definitely do it you can definitely gain muscle lose fat at the same time if you're overweight if you are a beginner um, or if you're using steroids, one of those, <laughs> yeah, there you go. those are the, those are like, or a combination of the three. Yeah. So I think that's great. And, and I like to live my life in phases too. There's phases in my life where I like to do three day fast and really fast and I'm not maximizing my yeah, muscle. You're psycho. That's crazy. But I feel like it's a point of recovery for me. It's my body's regenerating. I'm giving it time to reset and for rebuild. Sure. And then there's times where I like to mash, eat a lot of food, lift heavy, take creatine, you know, build my body. Could talk about up. creatine and stuff too. Cause I like, think creatine's a fantastic supplement. It's actually become highly one of my favorites after like studying it and really starting to understand it. It's fantastic. It's probably the number one most agreed upon supplement that everybody should take, honestly. And everyone like, thinks it's steroids. It's not. It's so much different than freaking steroids and human growth hormone. Well, like, and like we said, we're not experts on this stuff. We're not experts in supplements. But um, yeah, creatine, like it f- fills your muscles with phosphocreatine or phospho, whatever it's called. Um and volumizes your muscles and it like how lane norton talks about is it puts water in the right places like because people talk about it like you hold water when you take creatine Mm -hmm. but he says it's putting water in places you want it so um yeah creatine like we talked about bcas like bcas is far down on the totem pole when it comes to supplements like number one and number two would be whey protein and uh, just because whey protein like people generally like we talked about aren't hitting their protein goals for the day so by adding a whey protein supplement um, makes it easy to hit. It. Makes it easier to hit your targets for the day. Like gives you a, a few, like a quick, you know. You probably need twenty it, to thirty four. Yeah, like yeah. I would recommend it for mostly everybody, unless you can get one hundred and fifty. Like most of our friends are close to two hundred pounds. So, you know, if you're in a calorie deficit trying to lose weight, you're not going to be able to get to two hundred two hundred grams of protein a day 
unless you try to get a, like it's very difficult without a whey protein shake. But it's if, lean, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's 120 calories yeah. for a scoop. It's like super super lean. So whey protein would probably be number one, and then creatine probably two. Um, and does it have to be whey? Whey is a good form of protein, but you can get you know pea protein, whatever. That's, yeah, yeah, they're exactly. they're lean too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then number three would probably be like caffeine, I guess. Like some like people think that that's a, and I would agree, it's like a performance enhancer and energy. You obviously you get tall, you get a tolerance yeah. to that, so you definitely want to reset your tolerance on caffeine once in a while because it's brutal. Um, oh yeah, I like, love and I love this analogy that I think um, like creatine is it's a very natural thing in your body. It's a natural thing we produce. It, it's so much different than than steroids, and I, I like people have this like bad wrap with creatine and it's just so much different but create someone's like creatine is kind of like caffeine like caffeine from coffee it's like a natural thing to where uh steroids is like cocaine like that's how we should relate them like think of them yeah as i mean more they're, not natu- in, yeah, they're, not they're not in the, the same, same category. category yeah and people are very but pe- i just feel like people are so afraid of creatine and i actually was and maybe it's because i was too before and well, i just think it's great for, baby that's why we're here that's why we're here <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, but I definitely wouldn't be scared of it. I mean, you definitely like, you know, people say you can overload on it and stuff like that and it can affect you. But, you know, as long as you're taking like three to five grams a day, which is like the recommended dose, you're going to be chilling. And I've never heard of a negative side effect coming back from that. I mean, yeah, it's like it's one of the most commonly accepted beneficial supplements. Creatine. But then, <laughs> but after that, okay, so we go in the hierarchy. We got, we got a whey protein, creatine up there. For and then supplements, it, yeah. Yeah, then it starts to go down. Like like fish oils, I like, you know, if you're not in a sunshine state, getting vitamin D3 is really Facts, important. bro. That's Michigan, really important. This is the first time I've seen sun in like nine months, bro. I can't believe you don't I live in sun. We'll be need. there soon someday. Facts. But yeah, multivi- I like multivitamin. It depends what kind you get. Like you can get those gummies with a bunch of sugar in it and stuff. But it depends. I know. Like that's the thing. That's a tough thing about supplements is like, because especially like people talk about fish oil, like, yeah, you know, is like quality, like what is a quality supplement? Um, like, yeah, because they how add you know, stuff to them. Yeah, like, I don't know, like the quality of supplements is very... It's important. It's actually really important. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's it's tough to tough to explain and I'm not an expert in supplements, but I just feel like, yeah, the quality of your supplements that you're taking is important, but how to decipher that? Like, there's obviously a lot of websites that talk about it, but you know, who's biased and who's not. I don't know. It's a weird, supplements is a weird category. You can get the majority of supplements you can find in food. So I think trying your best to get sunlight, to get fruits and vegetables. Um, but then obviously whey protein, creatine are probably the one, I mean, one and two besides that. And then caffeine would be three. But besides that, I don't really know anything. Like I don't take anything else really. Yeah. I mean, I take, I take, I take fish oil almost every day. I take creatine. I'll have whey protein when I'm like working out or but like omega threes you can get from fish and stuff. So like if you're eating salmon. Yeah. It depends what your diet is exactly. for sure. And get liquid fish oil. Everyone takes the pills. Liquid is so much really? more fish oil. Oh, you got to get liquid, Educate bro. Me, baby. It's so much better. It's so, it's, it's, you get way more bang for buck. Like you have to take a bunch of pills to actually get the amount of like fish oil that you need yeah see i'm not an expert on this i can't yeah. really ignorant on it what it well what it is it's omega-3s you want omega-3 yeah. fats but anyway just get liquid fish oil do that and and that probably doesn't taste very good does it and at the end of the day you just slam it down Ugh. but at the end of the day no and they make it it's not as bad as like if you buy if you bit into like a pill you're like your life is ruined have you ever bit into no. a fish oil pill why? and you get that fishy you taste that? no it was an accident Gross. and it, my life was over you're literally it's disgusting that sounds disgusting. But again, hierarchy, like getting enough sleep, 
getting eating the right amount of calories, mm-hmm. like eating real food is so much higher than these supplements when it comes to living healthy. One hundred percent. Like sleep, training, nutrition, some sort of hierarchy of those three. So yeah, sleep is a huge one. I think the sleep kind of sets you up for the having success and everything else. So that would probably be my number one focus is focusing on like how do I get better sleep? And you can listen to Matthew Walker on that. Matthew Walker. Matt Walker. A lot of great stuff on that. Him and he's talked on Joe Rogan. He's done a TED talk. He has a good book. Um, like sleeping in a cold environment and limiting blue light before bed. And, you know, there's obviously a bunch of stuff that goes into that. But then meditating too, like that could help some people because I know like racing thoughts, that's what I deal with a lot before bed. It's tough for me to turn my brain off, but um, yeah. Sleep in Sleep a cold is room. huge. Not, not having a TV in your room. I know it's going to be a hard one for people. That's important. And not smoking or drinking before bed. Dude, that's like a... That's a that's one that I think a lot of people struggle with. Probably. And it's and honestly, just having the awareness to know what is keeping you awake, like having because the, there's a million different reasons why people might not be sleeping well. Well, caffeine's probably one of them. We just drank a 200 milligram Celsius. I feel amazing. Five p.m. I feel amazing. Though. I know, but like I don't know, like how we're gonna feel, how we're, like we're gonna go to sleep. But, um, but yeah, I wouldn't drink caffeine too far late in the day. Oh, does it, tracking cal- and tracking calories doesn't mean that you are actually putting it into an app. Yeah, I think that people think that you have to like weigh your food and shit like that. Like that's not what tracking calories means, at least in, in my opinion. Like if you want to be very, very meticulous, you can be. Like people that are bodybuilders that are preparing for a bodybuilding show are more meticulous because they have to be. But tracking calories, in my experience, all it is, that is, by in my opinion, the most... Like, if you want to sustain a diet, you have to have an understanding of calories because that's what determines how heavy you are. Um, and so we were in, like, a disagreement that people can be very... Or not people can be successful. Whatever the argument is that, like, people that are successful, do they track calories or not? And that the elimination of those foods is all that you have to do without tracking calories, and you'll lose weight, which I would say the elimination of those foods has to do with like what your budget is, which is what we just talked about. Yeah. My argument wasn't, and it's not even really an argument, but it's that I think most people in the diet culture lose weight without tracking calories. It's because they eliminate foods, which leads to an unsustainable life because they follow a diet like keto or fasting or plant-based or something. I think keto is the big one. Or whole, yeah. And whole 30, whole 30 are tough to follow. Okay. They follow these diets for a little bit and they're very consistent. They lose weight because Uh they don't eat shitty foods. That's the reason they lose weight. It's not because there's a magical diet. And then they go back to eating them. Without tracking calories, you think? Yeah, without tracking. Now, that's not as sustainable. I think you're way more successful understanding calories, having this nutritional background. Like you said, that's the most sustainable way to lose weight long term is understanding how many calories each day that you're eating. And it's been shown in like Lane Norton talks about like the most, one of his most recent videos is talking about a study that was done. And the number one most common trait of people that have to be able to continue to keep their weight off because 90 plus percent of people, which we can talk about why do not maintain their weight loss over time and end up putting it all back on. If not more, it's exactly Um, why they lose the weight in the first place because they eliminate all the good foods or all the foods that are bad for you. I think some of them do for sure. But, I think more realistic and more sustainable is understanding that lim- the elimination of those foods is not what ma- makes you lose weight. It's the idea that they're in a calorie deficit, um, a small calorie deficit that allows them to not destroy their metabolism, which is what it, which what is what you do if you do a 
substantial calorie deficit, um, as well as they have a sense of how many calories. So like for myself, we were just talking about this, how I track calories, quote unquote, is not by using a scale or using an app. And, you know, I might be a little bit different, but I can do it in my head where, you know, if I know what I've eaten throughout the day, I've had um, a protein bar, I've had an apple, oatmeal, whatever the case may be, I can do it in my head really quick. I've eaten 600 calories and I have, you know, maybe 1400 left if I'm trying to hit 2000. What can I have for dinner? I've had this many protein, you know what I mean? That's how I do it in my head to understand how many calories I'm eating on a day to day so that I, you know, am tracking towards my progress. But I also don't eliminate those foods. I just include them into my daily calorie intake as long as I can still hit my protein goal of 150 or so grams and my calorie goal of, you know, 2000 or whatever it is if I'm trying to lose a pound a week or whatever. Yes. And I agree that tracking calories, that's flexible dieting. What you do Correct. is called flexible dieting. And that's, and that's great because you have a really foundational understanding of nutrition and you have knowledge about And the this. high budget like we just talked about. And like I have a big yes. budget. And that's why it really helps working for you is because you have a high budget. You're very active. You can yes. actually flexible diet because you, have, you can eat 3,000 calories a day and stay at maintenance or whatever when you're training. Mm-hmm. To where a mom who can only eat 1,500 or calories. Or somebody, like during COVID, everyone's working from home, probably not moving a lot. Yeah. Especially during the winter. You can't go outside and exercise. Right. Gyms are shut down. And people who work in the corporate You have a world, very low budget. You probably don't want to have pancakes in the morning. You like, probably can't because that's half your food intake. Literally, maybe more than half. You have very low protein. Like, yeah, I would And that's why people agree. are successful on keto and stuff because they can't eat those foods. It says, hey, you have to eliminate all the ba- like those type of foods. You can only have fats and proteins. Whole yes. 30, you can only have these foods. But if you, get a sh- if you eat a shit ton of pistachios, you will not be healthy if you're over-consuming You, you can. It's hard to do that, but yes. It's- I don't know. I can eat a shit ton of pistachios. I mean, me and you are a different animal, different beast. But anyway, yes, we agree on this topic. And people need the most successful ways to have a fundamental understanding of how many calories you eat and to be adjust those calories yes. to lose weight. And understand that satiating foods are a huge part of feeling full so you don't consume, which is one of the number one reasons why, you know, processed foods and carbohydrates are bad for you is because, you know, say you have a a small budget of 1,500 calories or 2,000 calories and you eat 600 of them from uh, some Pop-Tarts or whatever, you're not, you just made a huge dent in your calorie intake for the day and you are not full one bit. You are still starving. Any nutritional value to your day. And you are starving. So like what are the chances you're going to stay underneath 2,000 calories in that you still day, have to get all your protein in. You have to get 150 grams of protein. Yeah. Like you are fucked. So like, You're fucked. yeah, fucked. So, I think that's a big thing. And here's the other thing with a lot of the diets is like we were just talking about the common sense test, and this is a big one for me. It's like, you know, when people say don't eat any meat forever, which it's cool if you have your your uh, different moral reasons or yeah, yeah. your philosophies about it. But um, to me, it's like the way we've grown up. I think whoever created us or whatever put us on this earth, like they put animals there for multitude of reasons, but also because it's part of the food chain and we we're probably meant to eat them. Like that makes sense to me. It also makes sense that like there's fruit on trees and avocados and there's all these different fruits and vegetables that just grow out there. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's a carnivore guy, like Paul Saladino, who says only eat carnivore, like he has this valid reasons and whatever. But like, does it pass the common sense test that they put all this fruit and vegetables in the world and we're just not supposed to eat it? Yeah. Well, vegetables taste like shit, but fruit tastes great. So, but like you said, like... Like, did whoever created, if you believe in God or whatever, like I have my yeah. beliefs, but whoever created this, they just put fruit there and they were like, F you, you're not supposed to eat it? Well, I guess if you believe in... That's like Adam Yeah, it's weird. I don't really know why you'd want to get rid of fruit. I think there's... Like avocados Especially because fruit, like people think sugar's bad, but sugar in form of a fruit has a much different impact on your body than like 
fucking candy does. So because of fiber, huge and those difference. Yeah, fiber, satiation. There's nutrients. So like, you're you're getting a lot more out of. And I love like I get the same, um, you know, like you love sugar because of like the taste of it, right? And you, I still get that same sort of feeling from eating fruit. So like it's sati- it. What's the word I'm looking for? It like it hits it's like nourishing it's, almost. It's like, no, but it's yeah. like you're like. You want sugar and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and that that accomplishes that for me by eating okay. fruit. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. sense. Yeah, I, I just love that, and that, that's another reason why the fa- fasting thing is so big in my life is because it's a common sense thing. Like we have evolved as human beings to be able to go time without eating, hundred percent, and it's made us live longer because we were able to go long without eating and have that starving sensation, for and sure. our bodies have adapted. So, like, I don't know when someone's like, "Hey." All right, all, all you're going to eat for the rest of life is bacon and, and fat and this because that's what we're supposed to do. Like, does it make sense? Can we, like, use some common sense here? Yeah, and I would just add, I think that there are definitely negatives to eating animal products, um, in my opinion. Like, a lot of, you know, there's, you have to think about, this is how somebody, I can't remember who put it, but they said you have to think about what the people you're, or the things you're eating, what did they eat? Mm-hmm. So, like, grass-fed healthy meat is much, much different than McDonald's meat. Yes. Like, there's a lot... There's a big difference in the quality of meat as well as, like, some people talk about... Even Paul Saladino, who's huge into carnivore, talks about there's negative aspects aspects of if you cook your meat at a super high temperature and you, you know, char all your meat. Um, as well as some people say that, like, the heme iron and the inflammatory aspects of meat, you can counterbalance with vegetables and, like, the anti-inflammatory part. So... Meat is definitely an interesting topic. I'm I eat a lot of meat, but um, yeah, if people do it for moral reasons, obviously can't argue that. But I don't think it's optimal for performance, at least for myself. Like not having meat, yes. I just think it's tough to hit your protein goals for a day. Dude, we talked about this. I want yeah. plant It's very, very, very hard to tough. do, and it's a growth and regression thing. And that's where that's a big thing for me with meat is like you know. Meat is a growth thing. It's a grower of your body. It's a grower of muscle, but it's a grower of a lot of things with the growth hormone and the way it uh, produces in your body. So understanding, you know, if you're in a growth phase in your life, if you're healthy or not, there's all those different factors that we talked about. For sure. It's much different if you're a 70-year-old versus if you're a 22-year-old athlete. So Exactly. Love it. Well, dude, we've talked about all these things, and we haven't even really talked about your crazy journey you've made Jumping from Minnesota, leaving, starting and opening a gym in Michigan, and what you've been through, man. What was that like? Correct. Uh, it was a grind, bro. Like, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Me and you are obviously very good friends. Um, buds. Best buds. Um, but yeah. So I tore my... I moved... I was working at the same company that James and Nick work at, a great company, Arctic Wolf. Um, was working in sales for a year or two years um, and was doing well. I kind of liked it, but... Um, wearing a suit and tie every day. It was just not my jam. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think this is something we talked about, but we have didn't have the grace, greatest background when it comes to our what we believe is for our athletic performance in the past. So, And we've both trained at ETS and during high school and stuff in college. So talked to Ryan for the last... Ryan Engelberts, the CEO, and um, he obviously has a, a ton of great directors. He had Adam Thielen that's joined. Um, so th- there's a lot of great people that work for ETS. Um, and he offered me the chance to, I had to move to Michigan. He was like, <laughs> he's like, 
how do you feel about moving? And I was like, um, I've always, you know, wanted to go out and get somewhere nice like Arizona and stuff like that. So I said I would, I was open to moving and then he's like, well, what about Michigan? So I said I was open to moving, which kind of fucked me. <laughs> um, but anyways, no, it was good. I'm in Michigan right now. So yeah, I moved away from obviously all my family and friends to open up a sports performance gym before COVID. Um, after six days or something like that, I tore my Achilles fully torn. It's crazy. Um, it's like, yeah, the worst day of my life. It was awful. Um, yeah, it was a grind. So like, it's like a good analogy too. And then like, I'm trying to build a business, right? So building a business is very tough by the ground level. You're just starting, but like building a business with a fully healthy Achilles is very difficult. Like building your business is, it's tough. Like being an entrepreneur. So having to do it with a torn Achilles made it tremendously harder. I'm away from all my family and friends. Um, I'm fucking using a scooter everywhere I go. And the the example I always give is like, if you're a millionaire or something, and or, I mean, maybe this isn't a good example, but if you have a lot of money and you're going to a financial advisor and you're like trying to give them your money, but they're broke, like you're not going to listen to someone who's not doing well in their field. And so mm-hmm. I was trying to get all these kids to come train with me and like, I'll help you <laughs> prevent injuries and shit like this. I'll get you stronger. And I'm in a fucking wheelchair <laughs> Trying to tell them I'm good at training athletes. So, so it made no sense. It was awful. Like trying to convince people to come train with me. I'm in a fucking scooter. Um, <laughs> dude, it was really rough. I was showing, I had to show videos for the first like three or four months of the exercises because I couldn't physically do them myself. Wow. So every single time they had questions on certain exercises, I had to pull up my phone, pull up a video, talk about like the technique on these. Um, and I couldn't demonstrate our speed stuff, couldn't demonstrate while I'm trying to build a business in a fucking foreign land. That's so, crazy. Man. <laughs> it was crazy. fucking awful, bro. Like it was really hard. But yeah, I mean, adversity like builds us, right? So it's like it kind of shapes you into this, a stronger person. It's unbelievable that you made it through that, though, man. And like now, like to see what you've done and built up your gym. You just said you did the best month you've ever had last month. Like it's crazy. Yeah, it's going good. We have uh, we're doing well. It's really good. We have partnerships with like two youth football organizations, which is like the fucking. What we really, really want at ETS is like a youth football because you, you know, can keep them for 10 years. And um, anyways, so, yeah, it's going good. It's obviously COVID has affected it tremendously. We were shut down. I was working. I worked outside for 80 hours a week from June to September. So gyms were shut down from March to June in Michigan. It's like a very, um, I don't know if liberal is the right word, but it's like, mm. a, like it's, a, it's a shutdown state, right? Yes. Like a lockdown state. Um, one of the worst. So we were locked down for three months, even though I think gyms are obviously part of the solution, not the problem. Um, but then it came back in June, like June 2nd, and had an amazing June, like July, August, but it was outside the entire time, 80 degree weather. It was a grind. But now, yeah, we're obviously doing really, really well right now, and the future is very bright. So, so what better myself and... Did you ever doubt on? yourself? Like when you were hurt and stuff, did you ever kind of doubt your decision or no. were, you, were you down? I was definitely down, but I never doubted. Like I, I'm, I'm a believer in my um, abilities and um, I'm confident in my, like I, I'm much, much better at this current job that I'm doing than I was at sales. Mm. So I'm much more confident in my abilities in the field. I feel like I do really well with the kids that I have um, and we see really great results with our pra- our programs that we use. So I'm super, super happy, and there's obviously a lot of, um, like we've talked about, the mentality aspect of things, which is somewhere I think that I do decent at, um, because it's, you know, the physical aspect of training and things like that is important, but the mental aspect of, you know, character development, confidence, Mm. um, things like that, I think I do decent at too, so, um, 
Yeah, it's been a grind, but we're doing well. And I'm I know excited for COVID to be over. And I know you said one of your favorite quotes is like, it's not about, um, you know, your talent and your gifts is not what make you great. It's your choices and your mentality and your actions. Yeah, so it's Jeff Bezos says it, which I don't know. I don't really know anything about Jeff Bezos, but obviously he's, you know, killing it. But um, it says, you do not, don't be proud of your gifts. Be proud of your hard work and your choices. Like, mm-hmm. every, you shouldn't be proud of your gifts. Like, for, and that's something that I think is worth noting because I think a lot of people are proud of, you know, whether they're good looking or whether they're athletic or they're smart. Like, we all have certain gifts that we're given or they can play the piano, like whatever it is. But you shouldn't be proud of that because you were given that, right? Like, you should be grateful for your gifts, but, you should be proud of, you know, your hard work, your choices, um, and like how people feel about you, like how you make people feel. So that's how I try to instill in the, like my kids. Like there, a lot of them have great gifts, but like it doesn't mean anything without, you know, hard work and making the right choices. And that's gonna give you a lot of confidence going through that adversity and what you went through with your ankle, and then coming out on the better side now to be able to actually say that to the kids and talk about injury prevention now and like what you've been through, like because you've actually really felt adversity now moving away and doing that. Yeah, so it was a, it was such a grind at the beginning. Like I said, it's like trying to trust a broke person with your money. Like it doesn't make much sense for people to come train with me at the beginning when I was in a wheelchair and like in a scooter. Like why would anyone try to train with me? But once I overcame that and I was starting to like move really well, like I'm fairly quick, fairly strong, all those types of things. And once I was able to overcome though that injury and then show my athleticism and things like that, it kind of had the opposite effect. Like it, it went from being a very bad situation to being like I recovered from a ace or an Achilles injury and now I can do all X, Y, and Z. Mm. So like it's um it's kind of came full circle where it was it was definitely a bad thing for a while. It definitely affected the business and affected my like, you know my mental I was pretty depressed for a while but you know once you overcome it you have a huge sense of um, accomplishment and you can talk about that when you're talking to your kids like you know Mm -hmm. I love you had a kid that just um, fractured his ankle and it's like I could talk about how I came back and stuff like that so it's a you know it's definitely came around to be actually a, a blessing. Dude, that's that's amazing. And what's the gay boy's vision now for the future? Like you've come through this, you're doing your thing in Michigan. Like you know, what are the next few we years? We talked like? about this, bro. We're gonna live together in like AZ or something. We're moving out. We're <laughs> moving west at some point. Dude, I hate the cold. So yeah, 100. percent The goal is to like open up an ETS in uh, like a nice weather location. But we're like we're building like an empire right now in the Midwest. And Michigan is one of our next states we're trying to take over. Mm. Um, we've taken over Minnesota fairly well. Um, we're going to take over. We're opening up gyms in Wisconsin, Michigan. And then I think we're just going to continue to go state by state. Um, but, you know, I have a great relationship with Ryan, Zach Line, who's like the co-owner of my gym. Um, so we'll see where things go. But I'll be in, I'll be in Michigan for a while. See, uh, But I eventually do want to open up my own gym either like in a nice area um, or like in the Minnetonka and like help my kids. Cause that's like what we talked about earlier. Like that's number one reason I'm passionate about it and why you are as well is cause we were so, we felt we were so underserved mm. as kids. Um, and then to experience ETS and like what that can bring to kids is very um, rewarding. Like life changing. Like, like we talked about this earlier this week, like it gives you a purpose. Like, mm. I think a huge part of life is like finding like a purpose of why you're waking up and like the impact I feel I make on a lot of these kids from a physical standpoint and from a mental standpoint, I feel a lot of, I feel it's very rewarding. So it makes me happy. Absolutely. Because we didn't have that as kids growing up. We had good mentors like John Coyle. We talked about John, like coach Coyle, like there's some, some amazing mentors. Um, but yeah, from a physical development standpoint, we had to drive 45 minutes to ETS. So like, 
you know, couldn't really obviously do that year round. And it was just, uh, yeah, underserved, I would say. Absolutely. And I love what you said too earlier about how you, you told me like, I don't want to talk a lot about I, you know, I, I don't like to talk about myself a lot about me. You know, when I asked you to come on the podcast, you're like, you know, I don't want to talk about, I want to add value and like, you know, see, see how I can help other people. And I think that's some way that we've both grown a lot is growing up. We definitely both had egos in different ways. And um, I know I was definitely a little selfish and I know you can relate to that at times, you know, focusing on yourself and kind of being a little self-centered to where I've seen this growth in you over the years that I think is so amazing of being a lot more selfless and I, I can relate to it myself. And I just think it's so cool what you told me. You're like, dude, I just want to have an open mind and like understand others and listen to others and, and get other people's viewpoints and ask how you're doing. And like, how, how have you seen that growth in yourself, I guess? Well, like I when, when I'm saying it right now, but like when I use the word I, it's like a buzzword for myself. Like stop fucking talking about yourself. <laughs> like every time, every time I talk to somebody and I use the word like I like this or whatever, I'm like, stop. And I don't know why it is like, I don't know who it's kind of been more recent. I don't know. It's been in the last like year. So I've noticed it, but, um, but yeah, it's something like I feel self-conscious about, but it's like you talked about, like when I was younger, I was fairly confident. Um, Maybe too, maybe too confident, but like, yeah, anyways, it's definitely been something I feel like we've grown on. And I think this conversation we'll have right now, we'll probably look back on in a couple of years and be like, dude, what were we, I don't, you know, a lot of this is science. So I don't think we'll, you know, think we're idiots, but I do think we'll continue to grow over the next couple of years and months to where we'll be able to have an even better conversation and look back at where we were and see this is where I, you know, maybe was wrong and X, Y, and Z. But yeah, Absolutely. I think growth is a huge, huge thing that we our whole friend group, I think, is really good at it. Like, James is a good example. Yep. I mean, everyone. And, th and that's one thing that, you know, when I have multiple on the podcast, when you come back and Rashad comes back and James comes back, like, things I'm going to ask you guys is, you know, what have you changed your mind about and what have you grown it? And I think if you can't answer that, that's a major problem. Yeah. I think t talking about myself is something that's definitely a huge growth thing and, like, always learning. Yeah. I love it, man. I'm seeing it. So, uh, dude, it's been awesome having you on Thanks. here, man. We, You know, we, facts. We've been, we've been throwing it around and we could talk for hours and hours and hours. Is, we've had these conversations. That's what the people don't understand. We talk like this all the time. <laughs> this is like our, we, me and you probably call each other like, I don't know, once a week or every, once every other week. And we have these conversations. Two hour conversations about health and wealth and yeah. whatever. And like the whole, oh, I listened to this podcast and they talked about this, this and this. And you'll say you read this book because you read more books. I read, listen to more stuff, but yeah, it's great. And it's great because we challenge each other. It's not just like we do listen to each other and like, oh, I'm learning this. But then you also challenge the person's ideas and then we can go on and on, which is great. Well, yeah. And you, like, you don't take it personal. Like I, when I disagree with someone, it's never like a personal attack. It's like, I want to iron out the thought process that you have and we'll, I'll talk about my thought processes and we'll hopefully both learn something through that. Um, Cause you know, you, it's like we talked about with Brian Callen on that, the conversation. It's like listening to other people who dis, who you disagree with. Mm. is one of the most important things for you to open up your mind and like hear other people's perspective and just not listening to the people that are just on your side. Don't support your own bias all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's like that's just a terrible funnel to get in. Like listen to people who disagree with you. There's a lot of smart people who are vegans. There's a lot of smart people who are carnivores. They have their reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing with pretty much every aspect. So yeah, I think listening to people who disagree with you is huge. Yeah, monster. All right, bro. Well, um, I got one more question for you. Okay. Um, but I just want to say how grateful I am for you, dude. I love the path that you've chosen. I've always been so excited for you to go to ETS. I mean, what you're doing, what you're doing for the community, and just kind of th this path that you're going on in life, man, it's inspiring. Because not everyone kind of goes after their, their mountain and decides to climb 
what they're passionate about and you have. So I just want to say I'm grateful for that, man. I'm grateful for you as a friend. Thank you, brother. It's likewise. All right, bro. Last question. Um, you're down the road, right? You got your kids someday. You got your family. You've built everything up that you want to do. You know, you're being a gay boys that you want to be. And you got your kids growing up. They're in that age that we were 12, 13. They don't know anything about the world. And you have, you know, three things or a few things you want to tell them. You know, what are kind of the key things to help these kids live happy, healthy, and fulfilled going forward? Well, that's a good question. And I, you know, I actually have more experience in this because I, we, I deal with kids literally <laughs> daily, like eight-year-old kids. I talk to, like, these little, my little brother. So, like, um, I, I think anyone that you talk to that works with me or knows me, I despise, um, like, excuses and complaining. Like, those are, like, two things that, like, they make, me, make my ears bleed. So, like... Mm. Um, and it's like what we talked about earlier, um, like Kobe Bryant, MJ, all these people, they don't accept mediocrity from people around them. Like, it doesn't matter how hard you work as an individual. It matters how comfortable people are around you being mediocre. And like Ryan is great at it. He doesn't allow mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like tough love. It's like, if you're not doing well, it's going to be tough love. It's not a negative. It's constructive. But, And that's how I feel about my kids. That's how I'd like to be like my father, my mother, that's how I like them to be to me, my friends, everyone. It's like tough love, tell me how you feel, and don't allow mediocrity. So complaining excuses are like things that I hate. Um, I don't allow mediocrity, which I think is important for people to know, or not to know, but like hopefully mm-hmm. my kids don't allow mediocrity from their friends if they want to be a leader. Yeah. Um, and then we talked about this as well, like the um, criticized by creating. Mm. Like that was the thing we talked about in the car. Like if you don't agree with somebody... Like, don't hate them. Don't go on Twitter. I mean, obviously, we don't have friends that are, like, hateful on Twitter. But just in general, like, criticize by creating. Come up with, like, that's number one reason I'm in my space is because I was critical of the way that I grew up with my training. So I created a, or not created, but whatever. Ryan created a system, and I joined it because I believe that people are underserved. So, like, I criticized the way I developed, not by just complaining and yelling about it, but by going out and doing something. Like, that's one reason I'm fairly happy with where I'm at in my life right now is because I bet on myself. And like, that's what I would tell, like you talked about, like, what would you tell your kid? I would tell my kid to like bet on himself. Like, Mm. and it's not that like you asked if I was, um, if I ever doubted my decision to like move to Michigan and stuff. Like I never doubted it because I know wholeheartedly that I'm competent at the things that I'm doing right now. And like, I'm a, I'm a good trainer, but um, so I never doubted it, but obviously there's limitations. Like if I thought I'm 5'10", like I'm not going to go try to play in the NBA, even though it's like maybe it could be my passion to play in the NBA. Like there's obviously limitations. And so you have to know like whether it's a fi- like this, there's no money in this industry that I'm passionate about or it's not feasible because I'm physically can't do it. But I would say betting on yourself is super, mm. super important. And like, and that kind of ties into the other thing we talked about, which is like happiness should be the number one priority. Like mm. when you're thinking any decision you're making, or especially the big ones like moving and shit like that or changing jobs like will this make me more happy not will it make more money like money will come but like will it make me more happy um which is like what gary v talks about a lot it's like happiness should be the number one priority when you're thinking about your decisions and then i think that kind of ties into betting on yourself like i bet on myself that i can provide a good gym experience for my kids um, which ends up making me happy so i think that all kind of ties in but those are other two things i would tell my kids Gabriel Boyce. That's it, baby. Gabriel. I love that. Stinzy. See you, bud. See you, baby.